this episode of Salam University, the Wrestling History Podcast, co-hosted by me, Joe Garcia, and also by the guy across the internet from me, Bacchus Spinetti. You know, the the uh, the irony of this podcast this week is we're doing one on a crazy person, and I'm going crazy recording this podcast already. It's incredible fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no need to peek behind the curtain. Let's just go ahead and uh, avert everybody's attention to... I guess the title of this episode, which I'm sure everybody saw when they recorded or when they downloaded it, uh, Slam University hyphen Dean Ambrose. The Titty and, Master. Okay. You don't know about that? No, we no. we can get into that uh, when it's appropriate, I guess. All but right, I did well, not know about that. All right, folks, uh, po- feel free to pause this podcast and look up Dean Ambrose, Titty Master, and you'll find the whole legend on that story there. But yeah. <laughs> that's an actual um, thing joe that's not me just random spouting out random stuff <laughs> sure uh and of course uh for anybody who who uh knows a little bit, even a little bit about wrestling uh dean ambrose of course is not the legacy uh character uh that other subjects of the show have you know have been so far you know your hulk hogan's your andre the giants uh your your medusas even um obviously he's a relative pup compared to all those guys and, uh, yeah, what we're doing here for the next few episodes, or the next three episodes, including this one, uh, is we're going to go ahead and run down uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, the guys... By run down, we mean talk about the history, not talk about them being bad or anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to give them what for. Under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to make them the subjects of the show. And uh... S.H.I.E.L.D. month, calling it. <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. month, sure. Even though this will be six weeks at least. Hashtag <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. month. Sure. Uh, so, so of course, Malcolm, you're the you're you're the one who wanted to do these uh, more, I guess, more uh, these greener guys. Uh, why don't you break yeah. down what's going on exactly here? Yeah, for those of you that are fearing the worst, don't worry. There's not going to be a Fandango episode coming up or anything. Like that. <laughs> uh, but when I, we were originally do- proposing this idea and planning it out for Slam University, I wanted to do it. It you know, one legend, legend being guy who's retired followed up by a guy who's still in the business that you should keep your eye on. Uh, and we've kind of been doing that. Like, we started with Hogan, who's retired. We went to Cena, who's uh, still in it, even though he's arguably a legend already. Uh, it's just a – and then we went back to Andre, who's dead. And then uh, we went <laughs> – and then we went to Undertaker, who, even though he's legendary status, he still wrestles. So we've been – but unfortunately – no, the legend part is shining through more and more. Uh, plus, you know, hey, we wanted to do the legendary guys we liked <laughs> quite a bit. So, um, but you know, I wanted to do some of the you know the shining stars, so to speak, the guys that you keep your eyes on because they're going to be something important. And quite rare is that you can say this about a stable, but literally all three guys in the Shield are people you should keep your eye on because they're all. They're arguably all three of them are the brightest stars in the WWE right now. And, you know, you should keep and we should uh, teach you guys about their history and why they're important to the business here. Because the Shield was literally the greatest stable in recent memory. And each one of them went on to do onto a pretty successful singles career already. So, yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. Sounds like you're going to try. Are you going to try it, John? No, <laughs> it's a difficult to disagree with that, but here I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> and one and even better, all three of them 
have their own distinct personality, their own distinct strengths and even weaknesses, which is, you know, even said on the Shield Blu-ray DVD set, whichever one, it says the same thing, and that, you know, they each brought something different. And very much is the case of Dean Ambrose, known as the lunatic fringe, as he is wacky. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know how <laughs> else to put it. Like, uh, what, what are some of the things you like about Dean Ambrose, Joe? Uh, well, his unpredictability is, you know, the big selling point of, you know, his character. Uh, even though it's a little reductive the way they put it, the way they really kind of try to sum him up as the lunatic friend. He's unstable. It's like, okay, that's, that's settled. <laughs> uh, but it's not like he's pooping in his pants or anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we can get into more of that once we get to, to that part of the episode. But, uh, like, I, like he, he's, he's got this nice little mishmash of, of, you know, styles of, of, he's kind of the in-betweener for, you know, where, where, you know, Roman Reigns was obviously the obvious powerhouse and, and Seth was more the high flyer. He's kind of, you know, in between both of those guys where he, you know, he doesn't <laughs> like he's lately, he's taken, he's taken, uh, to doing elbow drops and to standing, <laughs> standing opponents. But aside from Such that, he doesn't leave twist on that move, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> but aside from things like that, or, you know, the suicide dive into the outside, he's, he doesn't usually leave, uh, like he's not the high flyer Seth can be. Uh, and, and while he's got pretty great clothesline, I think he's not, He's not the powerhouse that uh, that uh, Roman can be, but like I feel that he's he's an interesting in between. Yeah, I would label him as a brawler slash hardcore type of wrestler. Yeah, yeah. that is accurate. And uh, you know, and I'll I'll talk about this in the review here, but from the moment the Shield first spoke, and that was actually you know, like that first promo they that sit down interview with Cold that they did that. Uh, after they attacked Ryback at Survivor Series, that was actually the first time I heard Ambrose give a promo at all. And from that very first time, you could tell, all right, he's the personality of the group. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> Shit, like, well, more on that later. But, you know, just the way he conducts himself, the way he talks, his mannerisms, the way, you know, the, like his facial expressions are the best in the business as far as, I, as I'm concerned. I can remember one time Batista was just like beating him down and he was just, cr it looked like he was crying in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But uh, he's become quite the fan favorite and to a point that a lot of people are comparing him to Steve Austin right now. Yeah. He's got that kind of streak to him where he, that kind of anti-hero streak that, that stone cold or even like Roddy Piper type personality mm. where, uh, you know, he just kind of does whatever he wants, whether it's, and you know whether the fans happen to like it doesn't isn't quite the point. He's just the character, you know, does whatever he feels like doing at that moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, just the way he is such an entertaining character. Like I would argue that you know the what he's been doing lately hasn't been spectacular, especially compared to what Roman and Seth are currently doing right now. Mm -hmm. And to a point where he's even had kind of a losing streak going at least. Uh, before the previous <laughs> sure kind of that's one way to put it <laughs> but he's still over like credit to him he, he's been given garbage and he can still turn it into something where he's still one of the most over acts in the industry so mm -hmm. he's got a bright 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 future even if a lot of people may not be able to see it just yet yeah all right so show we should uh, just jump right into it joe let us jump right into it Alrighty, so let us start with uh, some general facts here about uh, Dean Ambrose. 
as his real name is Jonathan Good. Believe it or not, Joe. Joe, <laughs> if he had came into this industry just 10 years earlier, he could have come in as Johnny B. Bad's arch nemesis, Johnny B. Good. <laughs> and he would have been out of the business as quickly as he came. <laughs> Here comes Johnny B. Good. It's all right to make him mad because he's a pretty good guy and he's not going to attack you. Yeah, you're right. He would have been out of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Would have loved to have sung, sung his song for him, though. <laughs> oh, God. He was born on December 7th, 1985, which is, by the way, the same birthday as Ravishing Rick Rude and Tammy Lynn Cinch. He was born and billed from Cincinnati, Ohio, mm-hmm. but he now lives in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's wrestled uh, primarily under the moniker of John Moxley and <laughs> l- would later do... Later, as Dean Ambrose. Uh, he is six foot four. He is 225 pounds. And he is uh, trained by Cody Hawk, even though, he, uh, went, even though he went to the Les Thatcher wrestling gym. It's kind of the same situation with Chris Jericho, who went to the Hart family dungeon, quote unquote. Uh-huh. But he was actually trained by people whose last name were not Hart. Oh. The hearts were there for one day and then left. <laughs> They're like, nah. Yeah. So we got your money. Thanks so much. Here's some guy who's <laughs> not a heart or our dad. And and he is currently romantically linked to Renee Young, which is all kind of a nice little <laughs> couple there. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Dean's early life, which unfortunately, Joe, was kind of sucky. Oh. He would put it on on the Shield Blu-ray DVD set that he was raised by wolves. Well, that's uh, based primarily on the fact that his father was in prison for most of his life and pretty much uh, rejected him as his son. And, his, mo- and his mom was poor and uh, an alcoholic and further distanced herself from Dean. So Dean, real in truth, raised himself. Hmm. He would find ways of escape, and his way of escape, Joe, was finding wrestling tapes and entering the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. As, as, he, as he viewed it, it, he viewed himself as the one good guy in a world full of bad guys, is, as he put it. And this is what drew him to wrestling, which is a world where good guys could win, even though he lived in a world currently where he could never win. And by the way... In this research, he became one of my favorite wrestlers, because guess who his favorite wrestler was? Brett the Hitman Hart. Hoping it was Kane or something. Uh, I don't think Kane <laughs> was around when, uh, 1985, <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he was watching wrestling as soon as he was born. No. Oh, well. Yeah. All right, fine. He wasn't, there. <laughs> he wasn't there in 86 then. Anyway, <laughs> anyway he lo- his favorite... F- part about Bret Hart was the fact that he could just take a beating and keep going. I've literally never heard that said about Bret Hart that is like, <laughs> I just love how he just gets the crap kicked out of him and keeps coming back up. But <laughs> that's so cool. And he also enjoyed the fact that Bret Hart would always find a way to outsmart his opponents. Now that I do it was definitely one of the things I loved about Bret Hart. But he started getting into tape trading he got in, subscribed to all the magazines and developed his knowledge of professional wrestling. And he uh, developed also a strong fondness for ECW, which explains a lot of his style right now when you think about <laughs> it. Now, here's the thing, though. As he was st- 
this is still in the period of kayfabeness where it's a pain in the neck to get it to get in. So he didn't know exactly how to get in the wrestling business. He knew that this is where he should go, but he couldn't figure it out. Then one day, while perusing the mean streets of Cincinnati, he came across a flyer for HWA, known as Heartland Wrestling Association, in at a flea market that he was looking at. Uh, he, he looked over the flyer, and there was an ad at the very bottom for Les Thatcher Main Event Pro Wrestling Camp. Dean went to, that night, went to the HWA show and made up his mind furthermore to be a professional wrestler after watching a three-hour show with the Brian Kendrick, J.B. Noble, <laughs> who would become his agent with, in WWE, and B.J. Whitmer. Dean first sent a letter to Les Thatcher stating his intention. However, Les told him to go to college and undergo weight training. <laughs> I thought he was going to tell him to go to hell for a second. I was like, man, that's me. It's like, no, he's like, go home and be a family man. <laughs> In other words, pretty much how every trainer ever rejected a somebody wanting to get into the business. Dean, however, wouldn't stand for this and actually went down to the gym. He sat in and won a Matt Stryker, not that Matt Stryker, <laughs> and Cody Hawk's training classes. Now, at the time, he was 17, but he told him he was 18 to get into the training class. After uh, do, doing the doing the training for a little bit, he eventually revealed his true age, which promptly got him kicked out and telling him to return that he was when he was 18. However, Ambrose would swerve all, everyone in that gym as he would return that night and challenge Les Thatcher himself on his decision. And, you know, not to a wrestling match. He just said, like, oh, come on. <laughs> In the middle of all this, Cody Hawk, assistant trainer, offered Ambrose a spot as a member of staff, at least until he got old enough to join. Dean would show his dedication by watching the three-hour practices, and then once the practices were done and people had left, he would go to the ring and do the practices himself. So he'd bounce off the rope, take the bumps, just by himself. <laughs> Now, uh, a common misconception is that Les, once again, that Les Thatcher trained him because, you know, he went to his training camp. But Les Thatcher actually had nothing to do with it. In fact, Les Thatcher actually left the company and made Cody Hawk the new trainer for the entire camp. Making an executive decision, Cody decided to let Ambrose start proper training a year early. Cody ultimately adopted oh, – yeah, I meant uh, – Dean ultimately adopted a lot of his Thatcher, a lot of his style, not Les Thatcher. Uh, in the, his, he absorbed he, Les Thatcher uh, into, into his being. Much like Cell from Dragon Ball Z. He absorbed <laughs> He but, absorbed him like a twin in embryo. Now, if you go back and listen to an interview that Dean did on Chris Jericho's podcast, uh, Pod Talk is Jericho, he actually credits Cody quite a bit, even saying that he was one of the most underrated performers in the history of wrestling, saying that he was a true genius. So he, he actually uh, looks up to Cody quite a bit. Ambrose would debut for HWA in June 2004 under the ring name John Moxley. He, which was, uh, he went by John, as that was his actual name, and Moxley, as he was teaming up with uh, a guy a, uh, who would, 
they, their gimmick was they looked like they should be in varsity blues and Moxley sounded like a, a name that would have been on that show. So that that's where John Moxley came from. <laughs> if he would, you say so. No, he said this on podcast is Jericho. Don't do that I know what I'm saying. If if that's the thought process, I guess. <laughs> if you think that's what that sounds like, if that whatever whatever floats your boat. Uh, a name he'd keep for a majority of time until he was even signed by WWE. As most newbies do, he would team up with uh, Jimmy Turner and form the tag team of Necessary Roughness, and that would be the tag team I was telling you about. Together, they'd feud with such teams as Extreme Desire, Southern Breeze, and Nigel McGuinness and TJ Dalton. Uh, who's that <laughs> of professional wrestling? <laughs> May 11th, on May 11th, 2005, Moxley and Turner would become the HWA Tag Team Champions and defeat Extreme Desire, which, uh, in case people actually cared consisted of Mike desire and a dude by the name of simply tack or just tack. <laughs> they held the belt for two months before losing the belts to foreign intelligence. Moxley would form a new tag team with Mike Bryan to form the heartland foundation, probably a little nod to Bret Hart. They defeated foreign intelligence on August 19th, 2005. However, they were immediately stripped of the titles by a majority owner of the company, Brock Hoffman, for no real reason. They, uh, I can't find a single reason that he did this. I think he was just <laughs> being a heel. The stripping disenchanted Moxley from the tag, from tag team division, which in storyline anyway, and he decided to focus on the HWA heavyweight title. So sounds like WWE already. <laughs> and and now, Joe, guess what we're going to jump to? Uh, boy, what's, what's that fed? Like CZW or something? Is that the is that the one? Yeah, that's you're 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 on track. But no, not uh, CZW. We are jumping straight into his WWE debut. But... <laughs> that's right. On January fifteenth, Moxley was what you would call local talent. And during this <laughs> and during this time, WWE would when WWE would turn around her around they would uh, go to local feds and ask hey who wants to get their worthless butt kicked by one of our guys and get your name on tv <laughs> and <laughs> well, Mox- if you're lucky like so many times that you'll watch like when the when the ascension first came up uh when they were first called over from nxt like they fought so much local talent quote unquote but they never even got their names on tv like they would just come back from commercial and the two no-namers would already be in the ring or if they were lucky, they would like get to wave to the raise their arm to the camera so you could see their face. But a lot of times they would just run over and start beating him up. <laughs> yeah, and that would be that. Oh gosh! But Moxley would t- would ap- make his debut with the WWE, and he would debut his signature local talent look of bright pink hair. Like. <laughs> Literally, it's crazy. Like, for just his WWE day appearances at this time, he had, like, the brightest pink hair. I guess he wanted to stand out, which kudos to him. It's, like, the thing you don't forget about it, other than the fact that, hey, that's Dean Ambrose. <laughs> but Moxley and his pink hair would team up with Brad Taylor to take on WWE Tag Team Champions Eminem on Velocity on January fifteenth, <laughs> 2006. Oh, man, Velocity. That was, like, the Saturday show, wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was the Sunday, no, Sunday night heat was, yeah, that was the Saturday show. I think you're right. Man, Velocity. That lasted like a year, <laughs> didn't it? 
Uh, it lasted longer than that, but yeah, it was it was in a few <laughs> WWE2K games. Oh man! And then he would come back on May first, two thousand six, when he would team up with the local talent with the best name in the business, Joe. He would team up with Dick Rick to take on <laughs> the Big Show in a handicap match. <laughs> Guess who went over on that one? <laughs> <laughs> so was this on Velocity as well, or was this? I, I believe it was. Or was it, it just the house show? Uh, no, no, it, it was televised, whatever it was, because okay. I actually saw the footage. It, it oh. sucks that Velocity isn't on the network. I mean, that's literally the first time anybody's ever said that out loud. <laughs> but, <laughs> for the, but for the sake of being able to see, you know, pre-Ambrose, uh, you oh. know, on, TV, on WWE TV, that would be an interesting thing to see. Oh, yeah, and uh, kudos to WWE. They actually have this YouTube show called Five Things, uh-huh. and... Uh, I actually first learned about this on like this sh- this episode they did that top five surprise appearances you didn't know surprise debuts that you didn't know about, and like number one was Dean Ambrose uh, debuting on uh, <laughs> on Velocity. Oh, man. Uh, now, folks, uh, now I-, I never thought I'd be comparing Dean Ambrose to Hulk Hogan, but <laughs> when we did <laughs> when we did uh, his episode a long long time ago. Oh, remember there was a part where he was doing, like, independent stuff, and he was literally doing this, 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 and this at the same time. So I'm going to be using quite a few dates here at the same time as we're going to be jumping around a lot. He did – he was going to, like, quite a few uh, independent feds, so I did the best I could. So here we go. Uh, going back to HWA, jobbing in WWE paid off for Moxley. You see, folks <laughs> – even if you get your butt kicked on WWE TV, your face was just on TV. So now independent <laughs> feds are going to be giving you quite a bit more to peer on their on their stuff. So you can actually make a lot of money by having Big Show slap you in the face repeatedly, <laughs> getting pinned in seconds. And Moxley made the most of his opportunity. Eight days after jobbing to Big Show, Moxley would beat Pepper Parks for the HWA heavyweight title. And Moxley would hold on, and it's funny because uh, Evernote auto-corrects Moxley to Mosley quite a few times. So if I ever say <laughs> Mosley, that's why. But Moxley would reign as champ for four months. It's not a bad reign considering all the, his other ones here. During his reign, Moxley would, chur- would actually tour other shows like uh, Shikara, which is a fed that I hope we get a chance to talk about more in the coming shows. But they were a very goofy, goofy fed. And like... <laughs> If WWE is reality, they are very much the superhero fantasy type of area. <laughs> like, for, for Christ's sakes, one of the biggest feuds in the company involving one of the biggest heels going back in time and finding a wrestling almanac and using that to go on a winning <laughs> streak. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. But Moxley would show up at the Young Lions Cup, which he, which is this uh, rookie tournament that's uh, only for wrestlers that wrestled under 50 matches. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And he took on the likes as Delirious, Eric Cannon, <laughs> Hydra, and many others. Uh, after crushing, after the, and this is the name of the pay-per-view, by the way, the Crushing Weight of Mainstream Ignorance event. Mox, <laughs> oh, okay. Where he just, like, had a match there. Moxley was done with Shikara. Mos- there, there he goes. Uh, Moxley would then go to Mexico <laughs> after hearing how Chet Joblansky, oh, and by Mexico I mean Puerto Rico, Jesus, 
<laughs> Come on, that did not correct. How Chet Jablonski, who was a rival wrestler of his, career skyrocketed. So he would send uh, various tapes, tapes to various feds in Puerto Rico, and he was finally answered by, guess which wrestling al- alumni, Joe? Hold on, let me think. I can't think of a good joke answer. So just Bushwhacker Luke. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like that would have been one of my joke answers. <laughs> it probably would have. Who invited <laughs> him to IWA Puerto Rico, that's International Wrestling Association. Mosley accepted and was placed in a tag team with Hade, Hade Banson to form um, a British tag team. Their third night together, they beat Chicano and Slash Venom to become the IWA Puerto Rico Tag Team Champions. His stint in Puerto Rico taught Moxley two things. Back with HWA, Moxley was uh, dealing with crowds of 150 people. Now he was getting crowds of 1,000 plus in IWA, so he learned how to handle the larger crowds here. His style also drastically changed as that angry Ambrose style that that uh, we see now in WWE started taking shape. He would then drop the HWA title to Chad Culler on September 12, 2006. But back in uh, back in Puerto Rico, he remained a tag team champion until November 11, 2006, and the team split up. At this time, Moxley was in his 20s and making good money which at times can be a bad combination, as in this situation, it led to Moxley getting hooked on various drugs. Due to... Yeah, unfortunately. And believe it or not, Joe, at this time, WWE was actually interested in him. He came for a tryout match on January 15th against... January 15th, 2011, against Val Venus. It was a dark (laughs) match, so don't look for it anywhere. They were looking to sign him after Talent Relations contacted from uh, IWA contacted WWE during this time. However, thanks to all his drug taking, Moxley actually lost about 30 pounds, and WWE saw him as a health risk, so that Mm. never panned out. Also, he was pissing off IWA management, who sent him home around Christmas time and never invited him back to the company. Man, that sucks. Yeah, he he was on a roll of badness right here. He would return to HWA and actually won the title for a second time on December 30th, 2006 from Pepper Parks. Sadly, lost it days later to, and this is seriously his name, Buffalo Bad Boy Brian Jennings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's that's pretty good. That's that's really good. And uh, he... And the word is he lost it once again due to the fact that he was a druggie at this time and lost 30 freaking pounds. After this and WWE, Moxley decided to take a sort of timeout and focus on getting his career his career on track. From, from this point, Moxley would tour with various companies such as Ring of Honor, IPW, PWR, and EWF as he was trying to regain his focus. Going back to HWA, he won the Tag Team Championships with former trainer Cody Hawk on June 12, 2005, but lost the belt four days later to GB Code. Wow. Yeah. yeah. If I recall correctly in the notes, this is where you're going to see him like win a championship and lose it. As, Immediately. You know, yeah, as people are still like working on trusting him again. 
He would then start working with Insanity Pro Wrestling as Mosley, Moxley quickly ro- rose up the ranks, found himself against the IPW Mid-America champion, Billy Rock. So he would take him on, on but lose his first attempt, but he would come back and win it three months later on June seventh, two 2007 at the Heatstroke 2007 event. He would hold on to it until October 6th, losing it back to Billy Rock at the Shocktoberfest <laughs> 2007 event. At this point, Moxley was starting to slowly but surely uh, regain his weight. And John would be informed once again of WWE interest from the talent relations office. He, However, an unf- another event of bad luck would hit him as the very man who was looking to sign John was caught in that 2007 illegal steroid bus four oh, days man. later. And that cost that guy his job. And with that guy out of power, it, there was at, no interest again in John Moxley being signed. So once again, he encountered another setback. Moxley would then take a short year break from mid-2007 through mid-2008, only wrestling on weekends. He used his time to finally work out his demons and get his life on track. He ultimately came back, but more focused on making it than ever. He'd make the shows for HWA and IWA at this time, becoming a more callous character. Now, now, Joe, we go to CCW. (laughs) And that is the combat wrestling... Combat... Combat zone? Combat zone wrestling. Thank you. Little dyslexia there. <laughs> After showing his violent tendencies in an HWA feud with Deja Vu, he gained the attention of CZW. Yes, folks, that's CZW from uh, all the Botchamania sk- skits. <laughs> he debuted in February 2009 by f- teaming up with his tag team partner, Sammy Callahan. And Joe, who do we know as Sammy Callahan as now? Oh, man, this sounds familiar. Uh, I don't know. You can find him on NXT right now as Solomon Crow. Oh, yeah. Man, do I not care for Solomon Crow. Oh, God. I, I, okay, this is like the WWE impression of what a hacker is, in my opinion. <laughs> it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But that's another, that's, a, that's another conversation. Indeed. He would save his partner, Sammy Callahan, at the 10th anniversary show, which is actually the name of the event. They just have some shows that are just called The Anniversary Show. <laughs> Real nice. Mm-hmm. And going back to IPW, Moxley started a feud with Drake Younger, who uh, I can't believe I didn't write down his his name now, but he is now a ref in WWE. And uh, they're actually like, they had a pretty impressive feud to a point that it's actually mentioned in the Shield DVD with them talking about how they tore each other apart. <laughs> so check that out. Is it the, is it the ref from NXT? Uh. I think or, so. Or that works mostly NXT? Things that they all kind of jump around. Yeah, I, I think you're... Yeah, I, yeah, that's the guy. Anyway, going back to HWA, in 2009, Moxley would team up with rival King Vu, who was uh, Deja Vu after gaining the title of it, finding out that he was royalty or whatever, and they formed the tag team of Royal Violence. <laughs> the duo won the tag belts twice. On October 14, 2009, against the Kosher Club, and then lost <laughs> it on December 2nd. There, 
against the Irish Airborne. There's some really great names in here. In <laughs> Indie wrestling gives you a lot of freedom for, for just exploring really great names. Until you go to the WWE <laughs> and you're like, uh, yeah, that's stupid. We're gonna <laughs> <laughs> The closest that the WWE has gotten to like a great tag team name in recent times is the Vaudevillains at NXT. That's an amazing name. That is. That is really for, good. for a great team. It's like, man, that's good. That's, that's rich stuff. Where are they anyway? I don't been... know. <laughs> Fucking a. Like they hey, lost to the Lucha Dragons and then disappeared into the night. Indeed, and I, I hope WWE hasn't given up on that gimmick. My God, <laughs> I hope not. So they would regain the belts two days later against Irish Airborne, though. So don't you worry, folks. Moxley would get a shot at the HWA Heavyweight Title for a third time. As on January 2010, he cashed in his pick your poison contract. <laughs> As yes, folks, like every every minor Fed has their own version of money in the bank. Trust me, right now. Against Aaron Williams to become the champ, King Vu would then turn on Moxley and cost the team the tag team titles when they took on the Noble Bloods. Moxley would remain champion until July 2010 before he would uh, drop the belt to Jerome Phillips. And it's important you keep that in mind as I start going on through here. As we jump back to CZW, as we're going to go start going back forward and back in time here a little bit, as back in CZW, he was doing really well. And uh, let's let's uh, talk a short little bit about CZW here, Joe. As, uh, okay. They... Uh, they very much embrace that backyard style. Like, I'm not even going to say ECW. I mean, like, that what backyard feds would say is the ECW style. That's what they were doing. <laughs> like, uh, I was watching him take on the, John Moxley, wrestle a match against a dude called Brain Damage. <laughs> okay. As, as, uh, that, that's your first hint about what, what it's like in there. Is They wrestle and... Uh, I used to do backyard wrestling. I mean, we were on TV <laughs> and all that, but I was always hesitant to say I was a, a former wrestler. Like everybody else said, yeah, you, I was used to be a wrestler, but I was like, oh, I don't know. I'd say that. But after seeing CZW, Joe, uh, I'm a former wrestler as a because <laughs> our ring looked about as good condition as their ring. I have to tell you, <laughs> they wrestled primarily outside. And, was it uh, just like what was it? They just laid down like blue gym mats on the grass or something. It looked it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, all the power to them. They had ropes and all that, but they were wrestling on the freaking outside. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you about the violence in this Fed Joe uh, against this brain damaged dude. Uh, it, it was mostly a garbage match, as uh, you know. They get in. There's actually a table set in the ring, and they actually started by sitting down and like. Yeah, like eating a, what looked like to be a Thanksgiving dinner before it, before it just turned into a, like a Hal Needham movie, movie and they just started like breaking plates over each other's head. Like there was at a, a point in the match where there like broken plate and glass all over the ring, which I thought was bad enough. But then Mr. Damage goes to the outside and he uh, starts looking under the ring. And he pulls out a power saw. <laughs> okay. Not like the circular version, like the ones that just go back and forth really, really fast. And he pulls up, he goes back into the ring, and it's like cordless. And he starts like pulling the trigger here. And Moxley's on the ground on his knees. 
and he ha- he's holding him up, getting ready to take it to his head. And at first, I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, obviously, he's just going to low blow the guy, he's going to drop the power saw, and the match continues, right? Because that would be just freaking crazy if he just, like, power sawed Dean's face right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that's going to happen. It happened. Oh, my what? God. Yeah, he took a power saw right to the forehead. Like, to the bone, Joe. Ah. To, to the bone. And even even worse, Dean then promptly, promptly jumped out of the ring and did a lap around the ring so everyone could see it. Why? Oh, my God. Like, it's crazy. It's <laughs> so crazy, Joe. Oh, like, man. That doesn't even sound fun to look at. No, like, Paul like, Heyman would... Paul Heyman would see this and they're like, okay, you need to tone it down, bro. Seriously. Yeah, because, I mean, like, the weird thing about this hardcore wrestling stuff, you know, like, I enjoy it to a certain extent. But, like, if there's ever a point where I, I where I don't enjoy, like, I can't enjoy watching people, like, get hurt, you know. Like, whenever I see someone get hurt, like, that's always terrible and I feel bad for watching and encouraging it. So, to see the people, like, actively are like, okay, oh, power's on my head. It's like, what? Like, I wouldn't enjoy watching that. It's like, I have a hard enough time when they start taking, like, cheese graters and taking it to their head or yeah. a stapler. Like, no, no. Like, give me Crash Holly going through, like, the fun balls at a <laughs> at a Burger King defending the title any day, man. <laughs> yeah, give me cartoon characters, not freaking, <laughs> <laughs> not a Saw movie. Uh, but uh, Dean Ambrose would also say in the Shield DVD that uh, he knew he wasn't going to last long in the Fed if he stayed in CZW. So <laughs> no, he, no, he would not. <laughs> no, so he he wasn't there for too long, but he was there long enough to make an impression. As on June sixth, two thousand nine, Moxley was a participant in the CZW Tournament of Death Eight. <laughs> <laughs> there was eight. There was seven other of these. He defeated Brain Damage in the tournament, but he lost to, and this is his legit name, folks, Nick fucking Cage in a triple, <laughs> <laughs> in a triple threat with Scotty Vortez. And fun fact, Nick Gage would sever the artery in his arm during the finals, bringing the bout to a pause. Moxley would come out to... Moxley would come out as uh, he was actually eliminated, as I just said, in a triple threat with Nick fucking Cage, to take <laughs> his place for a bit before it just turned into a battle royal. CZW, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Nick Cage severed the artery in his arm in a match. It's like, I didn't even know you could sever your artery <laughs> in a match. You could sever many arteries in many parts of your body if you try hard enough. Yeah, that's why you leave the power saw under the ring, folks. <laughs> like, why would you even need one under there in the first place? <laughs> why do you need a kendo stick, Joe, to be fair? <laughs> I mean, oh, man. So we fast forward to the 11th anniversary special on February 2010. As, as in this time, and I write this down in the parentheses, don't forget, he's the HWA champion at this time, too. And he defeated B-Boy... That, that's his name to, def- <laughs> to become yeah. the, to become the CZW champion. He would hold on to this title uh, just for a little info here. He held on to this title till August seventh, two thousand ten, where he lost it at Southern Violence. He would lose the belt to Nick Cage in a triple threat that also included Drake Younger. He 
regain it on August 14th, though, in another three-way with Gage and Egotistico Fantastico. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a pretty good name, yeah. But then finally, on February 12th, 2011, he would finally lose the belt to Robert Anthony. Despite much success in CCW, as I said, Moxley realized that he would have a short career. So after losing the belt to Robert Anthony, he he basically just said, so this is my last match <laughs> and left. Going back to IW, IPW, he defeated Scotty Vortez for the IPW world title in a title for title match. So at this time, he is now the HWA, the CZW and the IPW champion. So he's holding a lot of belts at this time. In fact, at this time, he was also the HWA WXW tag team champions, which is uh, WXW is uh, another fed that I couldn't find any information on, but they everywhere assures me he was a tag team champion at the time. So <laughs> in fact, during this time, Moxley developed a gimmick where he would just carry around all the belts in a duffel bag and treat them like garbage. Like he would just literally just like cut a promo <laughs> in a parking lot, reach in the duffel bag and start like throwing them in like uh, dumpsters or throw it on the <laughs> ground and drag it. And he was like, just to bring up the point that he's a jerk that doesn't care about anything. <laughs> Moxley became a made man in the, the internet wrestling community for having not only just so many belts, but having one, some of the most brutal matches ever. In another fed, FIP which whose name I can't I wasn't able to decipher either. He beat Roderick Strong for the vacated FIP heavyweight title at Southern Stampede 2010, adding yet another heavyweight title. He re, he then would also wrestle in Dragon Gate starting in Dragon Gate USA in 2009 <laughs> and where he, it's <laughs> Dragon Gate is about ethics in in wrestling. Mhm. Uh, where, surprisingly, he wasn't the heavyweight champion, but he did do some notable stuff, such as in March 27, 2010, he wrestled Tommy Dreamer in a hardcore match for Mercury Rising, in a kind of dream match situation, which Moxley won. On May 8th, however, he suffered a severe injury to his left nipple. During <laughs> Come again? See, like, uh, like he tore his nipple. How? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Same way you sever an otter, artery, I guess. Oh, <laughs> in a match with Jimmy Jacobs, who is one of those guys I hope we end up doing an episode on, <laughs> as that would mean he was signed by WWE. See how that works? <laughs> All right. For the rest of his indie career, CCW, he successfully defended the title against the most recent Tournament of Death champion, Scotty Vortez. Dragon Gate USA, Untouchable 2010, he beats Jimmy Jacobs in a street fight with his nipple on the line. I just threw that last part on. <laughs> <laughs> Later on the weekend, he wrestled the then WWE US champion, Brian Danielson, in a, once again, another <laughs> dream match, and lost. I didn't know Daniel Bryan was wrestling another feds with a belt. That's interesting. When he was US champion? Yeah. I do not know that either. CZW. This is the part where we're going to really jump around a lot. He entered a feud with Homicide in 2010. <laughs> Homicide, who you may know from TNA and ROH, first beating him in a relaxed rules match at Evolve 6. Don't ask me what that is. I, I guess <laughs> that's another way of saying no disqualification. 
<laughs> relaxed rules. I like that. Like, we're relaxed on, on what's going on in here. You can do whatever you want, I guess. You know, when you think about it, that would be a better name than Extreme Rules. <laughs> it's Just... it's like when when you go into work and you see that your lazy, like, that the lazy manager is in uh, to supervise today. Like, oh, good. The rules are relaxed. I can wear my shirt untucked if I want. <laughs> that match was stopped due to homicide injuring his shoulder. Then an ICW Final Impact 2010. This was like an inter-promotional feud, I guess. Homicide had got the victory over Moxley. But then finally at CZW Cage of Death 12 on December 11, 2010, Moxley was won, but he was attacked by another well-known independent wrestler, Brody Lee. Joe, who is Brody Lee right now? Brody Lee? Oh, man. Wasn't that... Wait, no. Wasn't Brody Lee... What's his name? Uh, a Funkasaurus dude. Wasn't that him? No. Uh, <laughs> I, for, I even forgot his name. Here, I'll give you a hint. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I feel like your hint only put me further from the answer, so go ahead and just say it with it. Luke Harper. Okay. Yeah, as, as Luke Harper was very much still Luke Harper as Brody Lee. It, it was literally the same gimmick. Just a crazy dude with a gigantic beard <laughs> who looks like he hasn't watched in days. In fact, same outfit on top of that. <laughs> but they had a pretty epic feud. You'd, as uh, After that match, that showed that Moxley won in the Cage of Death. He was attacked by Brody Lee immediately after. And then at the next pay-per-view event, which is, and this is the full name, from Small Beginnings, Comes Great Things 2011. He beat Brody Lee in a one-on-one match. In fact, check that out. It's still cool to see these guys wrestling together at an at an indie show. And fast-forwarding to last pay-per-view where they were on a WWE pay-per-view together. <laughs> Pretty cool. Spoiler for later on the show. Back on Homicide and playing the heel, he began focusing on Homicide cutting promos on Homicide's hometown of New York City as the Homicide character was born and raised in New York City and, you know, that was his whole gimmick. Uh, ring During a, sh- during a uh, house show, uh, Moxley cut a promo on Homicide, he brutally burying New York City, which caused ring girl Ruby Sky, also known as, as Matt Hardy's wife today, slapped John in the face after John continued to run his mouth on Homicide. He would have attacked, but Friends of Homicide made the save. From that point, rolling into who, uh, the next X event, United, Philly, one day later, John would lose to BXB Hulk before once again meeting another one of Homicide's associates, his running mouth catching up to him. <laughs> At BXB the, Hulk is pretty good. That's a good name. That, that's a pretty interesting one. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> well, um, well, if you remember the original Hulk uh, show, uh, it was uh, Bill Bixby played uh, Bruce Banner. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, good callback there. At United Finale in Philadelphia, the match was set. John would take on Homicide in a no-rules matchup. Earlier in the show, John accompanied Akira Tazawa to the ring for his match against BXB Hulk. Soon tempted by Ruby Sky, who wholeheartedly apologized for earlier actions of slapping him, John then brought her to the back to leave his stable mate on his own. 
appearing later to offer Yamato's services to Jimmy Jacobs and Austin Aries in their tag match later in the show. John, who was accompanied by Ruby Sky, was then attacked by a bloodthirsty homicide. The two men would fight throughout the arena until the match worked in John's favor, who would then bring it to the ring only to get slapped by fate, proving she... And by fate, I mean Ruby Sky. Proving she was working <laughs> a long homicide, Ruby would then strike John downstairs before slapping him, slapping him viciously to get the match in Homicide's favor. The two men would continue to fight until Homicide curiously placed John on him for the decisive pinfall victory. As Homicide went to leave, however, his quest turned even more confusing as he went back on the assault going to cut the tongue of John off until Akira made the save. So interesting feud there. Back in CCW, John lost the title to Robert Anthony, as I mentioned earlier. The two had actually formed an alliance, even guest rev- even with John guest refing Rob's first title defense on March 2011. Moxley kept quiet until finishing up some dates in April when they officially announced he had signed with WWE. <laughs> Finally, maybe. Finally, yeah. His uh, final indie match was against Austin Aries at Evolve 7 on April 19th, 2011. As uh, I actually saw promos of this from uh, Austin Aries, who's a very, very good and very underutilized talent in TNA. As uh, he cut this really cool promo about how this is actually John's final date as a wrestler. Because when he goes to WWE, he's going to become an entertainer and his wrestling career is over. So it's like he's going to give him one more <laughs> wrestling match before you go before you retire and become an entertainer. It's like it was hey this now. great. It was this great slap in the face. But anyway, they had the match. And of course, Moxley lost the match to put Aries over as Moxley would take a trip down to Florida as he would go to FCW, Florida Championship Wrestling, which at the time, folks, before NXT and after OVW, FCW was the breeding ground for many a uh, wrestler that would take the trip up north to WWE. Such such legendary names, and I'm not being, I'm not kidding at all, uh, legendary names such as Brock Lesnar, Batista, Randy Orton, and John Cena, and of course, Rico Constantino, all made their way from FCW to the WWE ring. So, let's see, how did uh, Dean Ambrose do? Given the new name of Dean Ambrose, upon entering as WWE just likes owning everything, as he would say <laughs> in uh, the Jericho podcast, <laughs> as uh, at first, D- at first uh, Dean Ambrose actually hated his own name. It was actually Dusty Rhodes who sold it to him. When he went up to him and said, Dean, James Dean, Ambrose, power. It is the best name ever. And it sounds <laughs> I feel stupid. like Dusty Rhodes could sell you anything. Apparently, he sold them on Dean Ambrose. As Dean Ambrose was then saying, yeah, Dean Ambrose, that's a great name. <laughs> also, can I hug you, Dusty Rhodes? <laughs> oh, man. He would debut at FCW TV number 145. On June 9th, 2011, taking on and defeating Unico. <laughs> the, the current Sin Cara, if you will. Indeed. Not the bocce one. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently continues to wrestle in Mexico as a legend. Yes, who Mystico. now... Mystico. Yes, who apparently now 
Oh, but it doesn't botch as much, so good on him, I guess. Well, the weird thing about him, uh, a quick side note, is that he, like, apparently whatever whatever was different about WWE just uh, made him botch a lot. Because he, he's been excellent before and after WWE, so I don't know. That's very uh, and I, I've really felt bad for Triple H because if you remember, that was his first major signing, was getting getting a uh, freaking Sin Cara, and, yeah. uh, and and like I worried about him because he gets this big big name, makes this big big fanfare for him, and he's just terrible. But anyway, <laughs> he should have went to NXT, folks. Is all I'm saying. But anyway, <laughs> then on the number one hundred and fifty show, he would challenge Seth Rollins who was the Florida 15 champion at the time, to a match which he did get. And uh, for those of you who, who are wondering what a Florida 15 championship is, it was actually a, a championship that was created in honor of the Briscoe brothers, not the ROH ones, the good ones. <laughs> the the uh, nice ones, the people like. Yeah, the ones that have that great auto body shop there. That, that <laughs> one. Jack, Jack and Jay Briscoe. As the rules of the match are... It's a. It's first of all, it's not a belt show. It's a medal, much right. like the Russian that. star that Rusev. <laughs> and it is defended in fifteen-minute Iron Man matches. That no, I I reject. You can't you can't <laughs> call a fifteen-minute match an Iron Man match. I'm sorry. Unless they put like on normal... power suits, they can't be Iron Man matches if they're just fifteen minutes. Well, they found that's a, a way t- to That's make a work, TV Joe. title match. <laughs> a, that's a, that's a normal match. length match. <laughs> <laughs> that's a TV title match. Uh, but well, logic notwithstanding, they had a 15 minute <laughs> Iron Man match on oh, August man. 3rd, 2011. As for the first time ever, ever, Dean Ambrose took on Seth Rollins. And little did we know the magic that would be these two wrestling forever. As they took on each other, and no one scored any falls, and it ended in a draw. They would wrestle again, however, on episode 152 on August 28th. Again, but once again, neither guy could get get a pinfall, even after the ref added five more minutes to the match. <laughs> they wrestled one more time on episode number 155 on September 18th. It was a draw once again. However, it was decided the match would go into sudden death rules, with Seth finally eking out the win 3-2. to two. Yes, believe it or not, they were able to squeeze out five falls in five minutes. <laughs> what even happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The matches put Dean on par with Seth Rollins. Despite, despite the fact that Dean eventually lost, the match put the Dean on par with Seth Rollins who is pretty much the second coming of God already in the in those matches. As uh, they made it a point that Seth Rollins was having a real tough time finding a way to beat him or last with him. But don't worry, folks. Dean would get a measure of revenge on episode 157 on October 2nd, 2011, when he beat Seth Rollins in the first round in a tournament to crown a new FCW champion. Sadly, though, as he lost in a match that involved San- Damian Sandow, Husky Harris, and Leo Kruger. And Joe, who is Husky Harris now? <laughs> oh man, Husky Harris is the unfortunate previous moniker of uh, Bray Wyatt. Indeed, who who's no longer unfortunate. And of course, Leo Kruger, folks, is of course Adam Rose. As uh, this match went down on the number 158 show, 
The following week at episode 159 on October 16th, Dean tried his hand at a triple threat against the other two losers for the right to take on, become the number one contender, but Husky Harris ended up with the Duke on that night. The feud with Rollins again rekindled, with Dean coming to ringside for Seth's title defense against Damian Sandow on episode number 161 on October 30th. He distracted both guys, even sitting on a chair and eating popcorn. He eventually got ejected, but would run out just before the clock ran out and attack Sandow, and due to the Iron Man rules, this DQ victory won Sandow the title. Later on that same show, there was a big, big brawl in which the FCW general manager, Maxine, was knocked down. Commentator for the show, William Regal, would tend to her. And uh, the the setup for this was fantastic. As you see, like, Regal attending to her, and then you see Moxley slowly turn around and see Regal. And it's much in the same way a vulture sees food. And he just, like, runs up and starts berating and attacking Regal, just knocking him all over the place. This assault would lead to Dean beginning his next big feud with uh, William Regal, which is pretty much the only thing people talk about as far as uh, what Dean Ambrose did in FCW. The two would eventually fight at episode 162. It was a really physical match, Joe, with Dean Ambrose... The story of it was Dean Ambrose was slowly but surely getting dissected by uh, William Regal to a point where William Regal actually legit popped uh, Ambrose's shoulder out of the socket. That sounds about right for Mr. Regal. Oh, yeah. He's he's a real peach in that ring. Uh, <laughs> Regal would ultimately win, hitting a knee trembler to Dean Ambrose's skull for the pinfall. Dean, however, would not give up his chase on Regal. Dean would be out of action until episode 166 on Je- on December 4th, challenging FCW champ FCW 15 champion Damian Sandow to a match. The match took place on episode 167, where Damian won three to nothing. And uh, before you get all, huh? How is that possible? <laughs> well, Damian won clean in the beginning thanks to his finish. But then Dean lost it and then promptly beat up Sandow, allowing himself to get DQ'd twice in a row. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end of it, Dean would then lock Sandow in the Regal stretch to send a message to to William Regal. And uh, that would become the angle as uh, Dean started adopting both of uh, Regal's finishers, both the knee trembler and the Regal stretch, and just do moves to try to irritate Regal into giving him a match. After giving a roster-wide challenge, Ambrose teamed with Cesaro to take (laughs) on Seth Rollins and Joe. Who could possibly be a high enough enough level talent for Seth Rollins to take on this dastardly duo? Uh, Let's see. Let's go with... uh, Who would be back there? Let's go with Bo Dallas. I wish it was, but no, it was Abraham Washington. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Despite locking in the regal stretch again, Cesaro got rolled up, causing them to lose the match. So, good call on that Abraham Washington, Seth. (laughs) He's going places. For a bit in December, Ambrose would then tour with the WWE, taking, doing dark matches, losing to such such favorites as Daniel Bryan and Ted DiBiase Jr. At this point, 
Dean didn't do too much else in FCW. It was he was kind of a blind spot. Blind spot. WWE wanted him on the main roster, but didn't know how to introduce him. Meanwhile, FCW also liked him, but didn't want to put him in a major story if he was leaving. Also, at this point, the company was very much in limbo as uh, FCW was going through some problems, and we'll get more on that later. February 7, 2012. I bring this date up because it had a pretty interesting match in hindsight, Joe. As uh, we would have a number one contenders match for the FCW title as Seth Rollins took on Dean Ambrose (laughs) and a man by the name of uh, Liaki for the number one contendership. And Joe, (laughs) who is Liaki? I don't, I I have no prior knowledge of this person's moniker, but I'm going to go ahead and take a stab in the dark and say Roman Reigns. Yes, sir. (laughs) The shield exploded years before they were a thing. And sadly for Dean, he would not win as Liaki would end up pulling the Duke, proving once and for all that WWE wants him to be the guy, even (laughs) back in 2011. Believe that. However, at this point, WWE finally thought they had the answer on how to introduce Dean to the main roster. As Dean Ambrose would enter a really interesting feud with one Mick Foley. (laughs) Have you seen any footage of this uh, quote-unquote feud? There, buddy. I have not. Uh, you, folks, you need to go out and check this out. Is it's re- it's really funny if you pretend that Mick Foley has no idea about what's going on, which he's <laughs> a good enough actor, and that's no joke. He is a good enough actor that he pulls that off amazingly. <laughs> as it was uh, essentially a a shoot feud, as it was literally just Mick Foley going out and doing a public event or a signing or <laughs> and doing autographs for crowd. And Dean would just show up and accuse him of ruining a generation of youth and ruining professional wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) And no one knew who uh, Dean Ambrose was at these. And uh, they they would start cursing at Dean Ambrose, like, what the hell are you doing? And Mick Foley is handling him just like he would handle, like, a heckler or somebody (laughs) that was picking on him. And he's like, oh, come on, man. That's not what this is about here. And, the, and Ambrose's like, you ruined the generation of kids. You know that? There are kids that are bleeding there. <laughs> Till finally, like, Mick, Mick just starts losing it. Like, dude, get out of here, man. I'm trying to do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dean would also uh, disc- talk about this uh, experience as one of his favorites. As uh, people, like other wrestlers, had no idea either. Like, this was actually the first time WWE used Twitter. Like Dean is like the legit, the first guy to use Twitter as they use (laughs) this. It is, they use Twitter to further the feud as Dean Ambrose would like always like troll Mick Foley's tweets and uh, further the feud as like, you know, Mick Foley couldn't get away from this guy. Hey, as uh, the footage, there is footage of like uh, Dean Ambrose going up and up, to Mick Foley saying you ruined a generation and it's hysterical as like all of it is like footage from like other people's cell phones and what have you uh-huh. as pe- people were starting to talk about this even other wrestlers as uh, Dean Ambrose said he was like he was friends with he is friends with Mark Henry and Mark Henry would be like man did you hear about <laughs> the guy who mouthed off at Mick saying he ruined a generation of fans and Dean Ambrose, you know, sitting around and, oh man, what happened? It's like, dude, <laughs> if I see this guy, I'm going to kick his ass. And, <laughs> and uh, it, it was great. Like, and uh, thanks to this feud, by the way, 
everyone in FCW got Twitter handles as per a company <laughs> order. So this is it's for those of you who are get ticked off when uh, when Cole talks about Twitter, you have Dean Ambrose to thank and Mick Foley. <laughs> so it was coming really, really hot. So surely this would lead lead to better things for Dean Ambrose, right? Right? It's not. <laughs> Sadly, no, as Dean, bad luck Ambrose, as sadly, Mick Foley failed the impact test that WWE was giving him to make sure he, that he was okay for coming back to the ring. <laughs> he failed miserably. So miserably, <laughs> it effectively retired Mick Foley from the ring forever. <laughs> you know, you'd think they would run that test before inserting him into any storyline, but, you know. You, you think. <laughs> You're like, hey, let's. Let's run with this for weeks at a time. Oh, wait a minute. Is he even okay to wrestle at the end of this feud? <laughs> Whoops. Oh, man. My mistake. Ambrose not only missed out on this feud, he missed out on his ticket to get to the WWE main roster. Dean admitted, uh, d- admitted that he was very depressed by this and even thought it may have been a sign that he, sh- that he wasn't meant to ever go to the WWE. And he actually started planning, all right, well, once FCW fails, wh- where can I start touring and whatnot? Like, he thought that this was a sign. Mm. Poor, poor guy. <laughs> uh, going back to Regal, upon returning to FCW, Ambrose continued to challenge Regal to a rematch only to be completely ignored. The build was actually really good as Dean would stalk Regal in the back, continue using his finishers, and called him out every chance he got. During this time, Seth Rollins, his on-again, off-again rival, would try to get Dean to snap out of his obsession with Regal and to focus on being hungry again, as he put it. Dean responded by challenging Seth, who was the FCW champion at this time, for a match in two weeks. On this match, the two tore the house down, with Ambrose fighting through a dislocated shoulder (laughs) once again, which seems to be a theme in his match. Thank you, Bill. (laughs) Uh, Seth would then would win after using his finisher twice and then beating Ambrose with a regal stretch. <laughs> FCW at this however would then announce that they were closing their doors but not after one last show and it was headlined by William Regal versus Dean Ambrose too. Dean and Regal fought to a draw but Dean ultimately got the last lap after bashing Regal's head into a turnbuckle an exposed turnbuckle repeatedly, he left Regal a bloody mess. The last image of FCW was Dean being dragged away from Regal's corpse, corpse by an, <laughs> by the entire roster over there. It was actually a pretty good, pretty good stuff. At this point, Dean was in limbo as NXT was going on, but WWE already told him that he was above it. You know, there was no, you know, we want to bring you to the roster, but we don't want to introduce you to the roster if we don't have an idea. Right. So for a while, from this point until he would make his debut, he was working nothing but dark matches, which uh, he has a fun story with uh, Paul Heyman, where, uh, you know, he was really depressed at this point. As like he, you know, dark matches were great, but, you know, he wanted to be on the roster. And he was getting really, really pissed off about it. So he was talking to Paul Heyman about it. And Paul Heyman introduced him to some Paul Heyman Kool-Aid. As he <laughs> proceeded to tell him, you know, being on the roster is great. But when you're on the main roster, all you are are just a product of yourself. Like Rey Mysterio's out and he's just Rey Mysterio. But you, you go out there and you get over every <laughs> single night. You don't need to be on the roster because you 
go out there and you do it. You're going to miss days like this. You're going to miss days. You know, Big Show, he can do whatever he wants because, you know, hey, he goes out there and he just bees the Big Show. But you, you get over. And uh, Ambrose would go on to say, like, at that, for, like, that entire night, I was like, yeah, that's right. I get over. <laughs> to a point, he walked by Big Show and said, hey, fuck you, Big Show. I don't need your spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to go about it. <laughs> I, I would assume Big Show has a good enough sense of humor that he's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Then he woke up the next morning and he wanted to be on the roster again. But, hey, Heyman Kool-Aid. So finally, WWE got an idea of creating an upstart group to go with CM Punk and form a stable with him. As uh, as the way Dean put it, Punk needed some heaters. As he was in the midst of his legendary 434-day title run, and he had so many uh, challengers for him, they needed somebody, some guys to take the heat off of him. So they assembled a new group that would be essentially... Uh, Punk's Four Horsemen, which Punk has also confirmed in that uh, very interesting and uh, much-talked-about podcast interview he did with Cole Cabana. So Ambrose, along with Rollins and Roman Reigns, made their debut at the Survivor Series 2012 event. And as as much as as all three of them had talked about, Ambrose and Rollins had a huge chip on their shoulders because... At, you know, they felt they should have been put on the main roster long ago. And Reigns, you know, he wasn't exactly happy it took as long as it did either. So <laughs> they they were really pissed off. And they were just like, if you go back and look at the footage of them debuting, they're literally like tripping over each other to go and kick the crap out of Ryback. <laughs> and a uh, little uh, interesting note, Punk actually talked to all three of them and told them, just so you know, this is the industry that you're in. Chances are people are going to talk when you go attack Ryback, attack Ryback, because they're going to be people telling him not to sell to you so that he looks good, which Ambrose uh, said point blank is all they needed to hear is they proceeded to kick the shit out of Ryback <laughs> all over the ring as uh, they as they attack Ryback and triple power bomb Ryback through a table, helping uh, Punk continue as champion and continue that streak or live. So they debuted the sh- as the Shield, and Joe, do you remember how they first look when they debuted? Uh, no, can't say. It. Uh, they were pretty much in black pants. They wore black sweaters, no joke, <laughs> <laughs> or black long sleeve turtlenecks, and uh, you know combat boots. It's very interesting to look how they look like on the first night versus ha- <laughs> you know that last night and how that whole look evolved to what it was, but. They debuted as a shield, clad in black, as a group to fight injustice. We go to Raw on November 19, 2012. During Punk's celebration for his 365th day as champion, Ryback tried to ruin the party, only for Shield to take him out once again. Then SmackDown that week, they took out Kid and Santino and Morella because they're heels. <laughs> then on Raw... November 2006, okay, 2006, November 26, 2012, this is where they had that interesting sit-down interview with Michael Cole, who the whole, uh, who sat down with them to try to figure out what their actions are. Now, during this time, for whatever reason, they, they uh, said, no, we're not involved with Punk. We just so <laughs> happen to interfere with every match he's in, that's all. 
And this is where Dean Ambrose became the favorite. It as you know, you know, Dean Ambrose had such a per- powerful personality. He's like, Cole, come on, come on. We're, we're not like, even his voice is unique. <laughs> oh my God. The trio announced themselves, because keep in mind, they hadn't uh, said their name yet, as the Shield. And then a ton of marble jokes were made <laughs> all over the IWC. They clarified that they wanted the main, that they watched the main roster with disgust from NXT, even though Ambrose wasn't actually on there. And that their goal was to fight injustices in which talent was overlooked by the popular vote. They made this clear by attacking Kane, who beat Brian in a... Uh, WWE Universe vote during his match with Punk. After taking out Kane, Brian came out for the save and then Ryback. However, Punk ran out there to ensure that the heels went over. Ryback and Team Hell No would butt heads with the Shield so much, it eventually led to a match between the two at TLC 2012 in a TLC match. And in one of the most shockingly amazing matches ever, the Shield won. And Joe, do you, have you ever seen this match? No, this is literally the month before I started watching wrestling uh, regularly again. Uh, no joke. After we're done with this recording, turn on the WWE Network and check this match out. It is that good. And this pretty much set the standard for all Shield matches going forward. As the match told a really surprisingly great story as you saw the strat as you not only saw the unique uh, specialties of all three men of the shield you also saw their strategy too as first they would take out kane by burying him under that 1000 pound <laughs> table but they would then reigns would t- reigns uh rollins would take the bullet for the team and distract uh, ryback on the outside long enough for Ambrose and uh, Reigns to take out Brian so that they would win their first match. It was a it was a great story. It was and it showed how well they worked together as a team to achieve their goals. At this point, Punk Heyman and Shield denied being a cahoots with <laughs> with each other at for whatever the reason. I don't know why. I mean, it was pretty clear they were together and I guess it was just to annoy us, but whatever. <laughs> This would repeat in uh, Royal Rumble 2013 when they took out The Rock during his match with Punk as they tried their best to save Punk's reign, but it was not to be as The Rock would end the 434-day streak. The night after, a hidden camera footage revealed that The Shield and Brad Maddox were working with Punk and Heyman the whole time. Who would have known? (laughs) Now, despite the fact that The Shield was brought in to team with Punk, WWE dropped that in record time as they quietly ended the association with the Shield as they moved on to feud with Ryback, Sheamus, and Cena at Elimination Chamber 2013. In an outcome that shocked most people and proved that WWE was actually serious about the Shield, the Shield would overcome even Super Cena to win. (laughs) And uh, Dean would also talk about this. uh, When uh, Shield started becoming hot, they would actually like be assholes to the writing team and kind of veto ideas. Like they were very <laughs> against drop drop losing the Cena at this point. Cause as Dean put it, as soon as we lose the Cena, we're like everybody else. <laughs> and you know what? That's, that's, that was very true. God bless him. <laughs> uh, so shield win. And then on raw the next night, they actually had their first match on raw on February 18th beating Jericho, Ryback, and Sheamus. 
And it was at this point that the legendary shield run really began, in my opinion, as they would just have match after the match of the night after match of the night out of match of the night (laughs) repeatedly and just becoming a real attraction on the show. Like uh, when you would hear that shield music, it was kind of like how the NWO music felt like back on uh, WWE Nitro, where you knew something was going to go go down. When you heard "Dan it, Dan it," you knew something <laughs> stuff was going down. Uh, they would continue to feud with Sheamus at this point, who would seek aid from Big Show and Randy Orton, and and they would all face off at WrestleMania 29, where the Shield would win and Big Show turned heel for the twelfth millionth time. <laughs> The next night on Raw, the Shield would attempt to take out the Undertaker. My God, who That's was saved, right? Who was saved by Team Hell? No, that was old school Raw, wasn't it? Uh, I think it was. I, I think so. The Six would have a six man on Raw, April twenty second, two thousand thirteen, which was awesome for so many reasons. <laughs> As during the match. Dean and Taker had an amazing exchange, not of wrestling moves. It was just Dean suddenly turning around and, like, started shouting, and it's only Dean Ambrose could at Undertaker. <laughs> it's like, dude, which, stop yelling at the Undertaker. You're yelling at the Undertaker. What are you doing? To which the Undertaker would, like, pace over to him and do that cross-the-neck, you're-dead-meat look, and the crowd <laughs> yep. just exploded. Oh, it was so good. Shield would get the victory against the... Team Undertaker, in which once again Dean, uh, the rest, the Shield, looking awesome. However, the people in the back realized this little exchange as t- as they booked Taker versus Dean Ambrose on SmackDown. <laughs> oh my God! And and it's still looking at this match. John Moxley took on the Undertaker. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, in a match that was actually pretty memorable for Dean, he. Had, Taker actually signed his, uh, you know, the gloves he used to wrestle and gave them to Dean <laughs> in, as a thank you for the match, to which is actually in a in a trophy case in Dean's house right now. Uh, Taker would beat Dean thanks to Hell's Gate. However, the Dean, w- the, the Dean, the Shield would respond by brutally attacking and triple power bombing the Undertaker, putting him out until that year's mania, which was just an excuse to get him off TV. But, hey, the Shield was the reason put out The Undertaker. That's huge, especially for a young team that's not even a year old. Oh, man. That was a really cool time. (laughs) Raw, April 29th, Shield would go over Cena and Team Hell No, and on SmackDown, Dean Ambrose would beat Kane. However, at this point, the Shield was undefeated, Joe. Believe it or not. However, that streak ended on May 13th when the Shield lost by DQ in an elimination match against Kane, Cena, and Bryan, who were all champions at this time. So they, it took literally every major <laughs> champion to beat him. So that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> then on May 19th, we got Extreme Rules 2013, which was important for a few reasons. One, Reigns and Rollins would win the tag titles off a of Team Hell No. And then Dean Ambrose would pin Kofi Kingston for the United States title. Yep. And at this point, all three members of the Shield now had gold. God bless all of them. God <laughs> <laughs> Although Dean was probably the least impressive of, of those champions because he never defended his title. 
Uh, more on that later. Uh, <laughs> June 13th, the Shields never pinned or submitted streak ended. Thanks to Team Hell No and Randy Orton with Rollins tapping out to the S-Lock. So, <laughs> still looking strong, though. Ambrose would then retain the United States title at Payback 2012 against Kane by Countout, and then again on Raw by DQ. Ambrose would then compete in the World Heavyweight title Money in the Bank, t- t- Money in the Bank match at Money in the Bank 2013, but failed to win despite some Shield interference. Ambrose would then keep his United States title by DQ against RVD at SummerSlam on the pre-show. <laughs> it's here that we notice how unimpressive his reign is and how little Ambrose is actually <laughs> defending the title. <laughs> As these are actually legit, like when he defended the belt. We then fast forward to August, when the Shield began working for the Authority. Ambrose started to feud with Dolph Ziggler, defending the title against him at Night of Champions, and SmackDown and you know, main event, where he would keep the belt each time. Then at Hell in a Cell 2013 on October 27th, he lost to Big E by countout, but kept his title as a result. It's here that we realize that Dean sure does lose a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now at this point, tension was starting to mount in the shield as Ambrose was now the only guy with the belt as Rollins and Reigns had lost the belt to the the Rhodes brothers a while ago. Reigns and Ambrose especially butted heads as Reigns thought Ambrose was a lousy United States champion. <laughs> Which is right, but come on, you guys are in a stable, asshole. Jesus. <laughs> they continued this into Survivor Series 2013 as the Shield was in a traditional Survivor Series match, with Reigns being the sole survivor while Ambrose got eliminated. At TLC 2013, the Shield lost to Punk in a uh, three-on-one match after Reigns missed a spear and hit Ambrose by accident. (laughs) Then at the Royal Rumble 2014, Ambrose eliminated three guys. However, was eliminated by Reigns along with Rollins, as uh, Reigns ended up uh, breaking a major record that year, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. It was at this point, and this is uh, out of character, this is from the Jericho interview again, that he admits that he and Rollins saw the writing on the wall. He actually reveals that the plan at one point was for Reigns to take on Rollins and Ambrose at WrestleMania, with Reigns going over. And uh, as uh, Dean put it, he basically like grabbed uh, Rollins and told him if this happens, we're going to be on superstars feuding with lost matadors. <laughs> <laughs> As he put it, that we're just going to be the small guys losing to the big, bad Roman reigns. And we look like shit. We can't let that happen. And in something that should be a lesson for all other WWE wrestlers out there, they got involved with creative and actually explained that. All right. We want to tell a different story with, like, Rollins trying to, like, keep the group together and me being self-destructed. So at least you have, like, three different viewpoints, you know? Uh So they can still be each their own character and not get lost in the shuffle. In other words, with all three being different, so at best we're looking at a triple threat at this point, you know? (laughs) So they don't look like crap. Ambrose would then retain his title against Mark Henry. 
The trio would then have their amazing, amazing match with the Wyatt family at Elimination Chamber 2014 after the Wyatts cost the Shield entries in the Elimination Chamber match. See, they were in a match against, I think, Brian, Sheamus, and Cena, where the thing was who whichever team won would get to go into the Elimination Chamber. Uh-huh. And the Wyatts came to attack Cena because, you know, the end game was uh, Bray Wyatt versus <clears throat> Cena. But they cost the, ma- they cost the Shield the match and rightfully led to a match between the three. So they had their match, and during the match, Dean was fighting with against Bray Wyatt, and Dean just disappeared. Like, we don't see... <laughs> like, they go over the barricade, and they fight into the audience. Right. Bray, Bray comes back, but Dean is nowhere to be found. In fact, I think it's still, like, a mystery. Like, where the hell was Dean Ambrose? <laughs> but this led to the Wyatt family going over the shield in a really, really good match, actually. And uh, on SmackDown, the group had a summit, which is actually one of my favorite shield promos of all time. As uh, this summit happened after a match on Raw where Rollins walked out on the team. I think they had it like Reigns walked out once, then Dean walked out once, and then Rollins just threw his hands up and left too to sort of make a point to the two of them. And it looked like this would be the uh, promo where they separated. And this is where we got to saw, you know, Seth Rollins, the architect, as he revealed why he did what he did. And he explained that we could be the most powerful group ever if you could just stop acting like children. And <laughs> there comes a moment where Dean just hauls off and punches Seth right in the face and knocks him <laughs> down. And you think it's going to erupt to a brawl, but Seth just gets up and he rubs his jaw. And he takes the mi- the mic and he says one of my favorite lines ever. So are we done or are we done? <laughs> Which, you know, sounds silly, but, you know, it's a pretty powerful point. And, you know, you know, Dean was like, all right, but we're c- this clear slate. And they shake their nod their head. They all stick their hand in the middle in the shield salute. And uh, they're back better than ever. Now, at this point, the shield is getting cheered. Like, <laughs> Really getting cheered. Like, I would dare say they were more over than even Brian at this point. WWE began teasing tension between them and Kane and the Outlaws of the Authority. And after some back and forth, it led to a match at WrestleMania 30 where the Shield destroyed these guys. Oh, my <laughs> God. It was like at a point like these, this team is so freaking awesome that I'm sorry you get no offense. <laughs> my God. And then the Raw after Mania happened, which was uh, a memorable Raw, as the Shield found out during. As a, it was one of those amazing stories that the Shield learned that the only reason Triple H hired him was to keep them pawns of the Authority, which led to the unthinkable, as the Shield would save Daniel Bryan and his recently won title, and turn face and turn on the Authority in the process in a massive explosion. It was at like. <laughs> Listening to the crowd explode at that point, just like how excited they are at the Shield face is amazing. <laughs> On April 28, 2014, Dean Ambrose surpasses MVP to become the longest reigning <laughs> champion in WWE history. Defending it like four times. Yeah, it, it, he wasn't really a fighting. <laughs> like as soon as he turned face, he just like he would just carry it out there and just like. Yeah, they're going to take it off me at some point, but whatever. (laughs) Oh, man. The Shield would have their best feud as 
Triple H reunited with Randy Orton and Batista (laughs) to form Evolution as uh, they had probably the best feud the Shield ever had. As uh, I got to admit, like, as soon as the Evolution got together, I'm like, there's no way these guys can win. It's Evolution. How are they going to do that? (laughs) And plus, like, the lead up for the matches uh, on Raw were, like, Evolution would just out absolutely outclass the Shield every every turn, made it even more clear that you know I I, I can't see these guys winning. <laughs> My God, the trio would face off at Extreme Rule. The two trios would face off at Extreme Rules 2014, where in a hellacious match. My God, such a good match. They the the Shield found a way and pinned Batista and won the first clash between the two fantastic stables. However, in retaliation, Triple H opened up the next draw by forcing Dean Ambrose to defend the United States <laughs> title in a 20-man battle royal. Despite making it to the final two, he was finally ousted by Sheamus, ending his reign at 351 days. And then on SmackDown, promptly lost the rematch. Shield would then face off against Evolution one more time at Payback 2014 in probably the greatest match in the feud, as is <laughs> as it was an elimination match, Joe. The hilarious thing about this match, though, before as they set it up, is that you know the Shield won the previous match and they demanded the rematch for Payback for whatever reason. Well, I can see you know keep in mind uh, Dean the whole thing with Dean Ambrose happened like opening of Raw, so they were probably pissed off that, you know, Triple H abused his power and they wanted to end it once and for all. So I, I could see them still being I could see Dean being pissed at <laughs> uh, How did you think this match was going to go before this match happened, Joe? There wasn't a bad performer in the bunch. Like, they're all really great at what they do. So, like, I was very excited to see uh, The Shield take on Evolution. Oh, I was excited too. However, I really thought that they were just going to continue with the Reigns push train uh-huh. and you know Reigns would be like the sole survivor and Dean and Rollins would get eliminated however I'm really I was really shocked and extremely happy with how they they went about it as the shield would actually win in a clean sweep taking out all three members of evolution despite a brutal so brutal it was almost racist caning of Roman Reigns <laughs> <laughs> like freaking and uh, kudos to Roman Reigns. He was smart enough when he rolled out of the ring after that brutal caning to ru- to land with his back up so the camera could see the battle scars. <laughs> but, oh, man, that was such a brutal, brutal match. And once again, it, like at one point, I was like, oh, my God, they're not winning, are they? <laughs> it's like, like great storytelling, absolutely great storytelling. So they would win, and arguably the apex of the height of popularity for the Shield. Which should have been a sign, Joe, I guess. (laughs) But I don't think anyone could prepare us for the next night on Raw. As Triple H, even after Batista would quit the company and leave Evolution, vowed he would get the last laugh. As he would ominously say, there's always a plan B. (laughs) And end of the show, we see the Shield in the ring, Brothers United, having overcome the most difficult challenge of their professional career with evolution's theme playing again as triple h would come to the ring with orton with a sledgehammer seeing preparing for the worst seth would go out to the ring and grab a steel chair 
<laughs> and uh, as uh, Triple H once again said, there there's always a plan B. Seth would reel back and murder Reigns with a single <laughs> chair shot. Like, it's interesting because, you know, Reigns is this big uber powerhouse, but you could see Reigns' soul leave his body with this, like, one strike. <laughs> Reigns would fall to the rope unconscious. And once again, Dean Ambrose, master of faces, his face told the (laughs) whole story. The face he had was the face that every wrestling fan had during this tremendous thing. As you see the shock and heartbreak in his eyes as he's starting to realize what happened. He would try to attack Seth, but to no avail as Seth speared him with the chair in the stomach and then repeatedly bashed him in the back with a steel chair. (laughs) And the shield was no more. Seth was aligned with the authority as both members of the shield were left at the wayside with Seth saying that the only reason they got together was because of him. And he was all the authority needed. Joe, how did you feel at this point? I was gutted, man. (laughs) It, It was a move that a lot of people, you know, granted all three of them are fantastic additions to the main roster singles wise. But at the same time, the shield was so over. It, it cannot be underestimated. They were like freaking Rock and Roll Express over Express uh, over at this point. <laughs> like, they were the most over faces of the group. I mean, of the entire Fed. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's one of those, like, I understand why it happened, but it still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss it. But, and don't get it twisted, folks. The, a S.H.I.E.L.D. Re- reuniting will happen at some point, much like there was a DX reuniting. It's not going to happen for a long time, but mm, that, I don't know. that's really what if, you think... what if, what if we, what if, well, well, let's continue. The episode. All right. Well. I'll give I'll give you the crazy theory. Okay. Okay. So thus began the singles run of Dean Ambrose. Dean would ditch the black look. Unlike his other two brethren who would continue <laughs> to still dress up pretty much the same as he would gain a traditional blue jeans and gray wife beater look to his appearance. He would then begin feuding with, with Rollins immediately. And at this point, the plan was pretty obvious. You know, Seth would destroy Dean and then go on to feud with Roman Reigns. And the two of them would have like the, you know, the major feud of the breakup. So at this point, it was pretty much up to Dean. So let's see what he does. <laughs> don't care what it, yeah. You know, once again, I don't care what any plan, what anyone says. I believe that's what the plan was on. However, Dean was just too good at showing that he wanted revenge, and the people ate it up. His uh, his promos, uh, passionately claiming how he was going to like murder Seth Rollins for what he did, <laughs> and just how he acted. Just, you know, the WWE Universe ate it up a lot, ate it up. The feud began with Rollins costing Dean Ambrose, a sp- well, continued, I should say, with Dean Am- with Seth Rollins costing Dean Ambrose a spot and money in the bank. While Rollins was just granted his spot because the authority loves him. However, <laughs> after Dean interfered in all of Rollins' match afterwards, Seth realized that Dean would just end up costing him the match if he was out of it anyway. So he actually asked the authority to just give him a spot in Money in the Bank so he could keep an eye on him, which I thought was actually really logical. I like that. <laughs> Dean Ambrose had the match won as that essentially that match was just, you know, it was Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and there were like five other people involved. <laughs> 
You knew you knew that it was either Dean or Seth winning that match. Dean Ambrose had the match won, but Kane would wind up costing Ambrose the match at Money in the Bank 2014 and practically gave Seth Rollins the briefcase. And uh, at this point, uh, the, you know, Dean Ambrose also showed, uh, you know, differences in himself. Like, it's the little things I say, I say that make the wrestler, like, Kofi Kingston, back when he was a face, when he came down to the ring, he came down the same way every single time. Like, that was his entrance, you know? Mm -hmm. However, with Dean Ambrose, if it was somebody he hated, such as Seth Rollins, he was different. (laughs) Like, uh, he actually talks about it once again in that uh, Jericho interview, which is a surprisingly in-depth interview. It's like, where he talks about, you know, if I'm going up against some guy I don't know. I'm just going to, you know, just walk to the ring, probably take my time. But if it's somebody I don't like, I'm going to be in a hurry to get to the ring. I'm going to look <laughs> a little bit more crazed. And he talks about, like, how, you know, he, it's different. Like, he treats each car- each wrestler different, which is great because it just continues to get you absorbed into this feud. Continuing to target Seth at this point, WWE realized that it had a hot feud in its hand. Dean Ambrose at this point would actually continually interfere with Seth Rollins's uh, attempts at a cash in saying that <laughs> he would be always be there to cost Seth Rollins the, any time he tries to cash in the briefcase, he would be there to a point that, you know, they actually kept uh, they actually kept that in mind when Seth would finally cash in. I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> they were scheduled to have a match at battlegrounds, but WWE wasn't ready to have the match yet. No, 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 no. So they had Ambrose attack Seth backstage where Triple H had him thrown out of, of the arena for whatever the reason and <laughs> just cancel the match. Seth announced that he won the match by forfeit to massive booze only for Dean Ambrose to return <laughs> and, and further beat him up all over the, over the arena, which people just ate up. However, once again, Triple H and company ejected him from the building and thus canceling the match. The match was finally set at SummerSlam 2014, a rightful place for it, as they wrestled in a lumberjack match. And admit it, Joe, as soon as you heard lumberjack, you thought, like me, lame. <laughs> it, by all accounts, it should suck. It, it should have. <laughs> However, as they would say on the D, on the Shield Blu-ray, Dean would admit that him and Seth Rollins dedicated themselves to having the best lumberjack match in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> the only acceptable lumberjack match in the history of professional wrestling. Pretty much, as they managed to have a match that had so much uh, freaking oomph to it that the lumberjacks could not keep it, could <laughs> not contain it. Uh, easily the match of the, the night, and had so many high points, including Dean Ambrose, Hitting a very, very <laughs> awesome curb stomp on Seth Rollins, getting some like getting a moral victory there. <laughs> but before he could finally seal the deal, you know, once again Kane would interfere, costing him the match against Rollins and allowing Seth Rollins to win the match. Mm-hmm. Oh man, <laughs> such a once again surprisingly good good match. The next night on Raw. Ambrose and Rollins would face off again in a Falls Count Anywhere match, with Triple H emphatically telling Rollins to finally end this. In a very, very awesome match, which would see Dean Ambrose powerbomb Rollins in a group in a <laughs> pile of chairs, 
Kane would again interfere, and he and Seth would take out Ambrose in the most diabolical way possible, curb stomping his head through a pile of cinder blocks. <laughs> he really should be dead at that point. <laughs> However, this was actually an excuse for Ambrose to be gone for a while to star in a WWE film called Lockdown. And so kudos to Ambrose. He went from just simply jobbing to Seth Rollins to making him more over in the process in the course of the course of this uh, feud to a point that WWE said, hey, would you like to be in a movie? <laughs> that is pretty much the epitome of making the worst, making the best out of a terrible situation. How would you like to be a star? Oh, God. And, and I'm actually curious to see that movie. I, I would love to see a movie with Dean Ambrose. <laughs> By the way, a uh, little special mention, uh, Joe, I really hope you talk about the eulogy for Dean Ambrose that Seth Rollins <laughs> the next week on Raw. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> oh, man. So Reigns, at this point, was set to feud with Rollins to launch and then launch himself towards the world title. However... Reigns was eventually speared by hemorrhoids and took him out of wrestling <laughs> for quite a few months. But don't worry, he would still somehow win Superstar of the Year despite the hemorrhoids. He didn't have hemorrhoids. He had a hernia. Oh, her- <laughs> those, those are very sorry. different. I, I confused the two. I'm sorry. Those are very different things. <laughs> a hernia. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, okay, I confused hemorrhoids and... Uh, what, what was the... Hernia, excuse me. <laughs> Those are so different, they couldn't be more different. <laughs> well, they both begin with H, you see. <laughs> oh, okay. So anyway, once again, Dean a- Fortune would favor D- <laughs> Dean Ambrose, as now that Reigns was gone, they needed somebody feuded with uh, Rollins. So Reigns and Rollins were actually scheduled to face each face off at Night of Champions 2014. However, thanks to the hernia, (laughs) (laughs) Rollins would win by forfeit, which he took too much joy in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. However, a lone car would pull up, or a lone taxi, excuse me, would pull up, and out of it would pop out Dean Ambrose, who came out of the driver's side, which means he was driving it. So (laughs) was he just being a taxi cab guy the whole time? Come on. So anyway, Dean would come out and promptly throttle Seth Rollins all over the arena to continue his feud. However, in that same uh, same night, Seth Rollins would attempt to screw Cena out of the WWE title when he would attack Cena when he just about had Brock Lesnar beat in the uh, STF, when he would uh, jump Cena, hit him several times with a briefcase, and then get attempt to cash in on Brock Lesnar. But Cena would have none of it and chase Rollins out of the arena before he getting hit with an F5. Hey, so at this point, you have Seth Rollins feuding with Dean Ambrose and had just started something with Cena. Oh, dear. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong from here? <laughs> so at the next ride on Raw, Cena and Ambrose now both wanted a piece of Seth Rollins. And while they got along somewhat at first, Ambrose especially wanted Rollins all to himself. And told Cena to take his own non-personal beef somewhere else. (laughs) To which uh, they had a little mini-feud. The authority, seeking to keep the the faces not united, gave Cena and Ambrose an ultimatum. 
wrestle each other in the main event in a contract and a pole match on Raw, where the winner would get a match with Seth Rollins, and the loser would get to face Randy Orton in a number one contendership match. What? Yeah, this whole thing was real. This whole this whole situation they created was real, real dumb. It was. It was like, well, why would you give the loser a shot at the title? What the? Fuck? I don't know. I don't know. And he had to have Orton being all cheeky, trying to like, I want the have to say, go up to freaking Triple H and say, I want the <laughs> loser of that match. Like it was just an amazing thing. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Now, there could have been some opportunity for a story here. Like, you could have had, like, seen, like, you could have made that, like, the thing that drives a wedge with Cena. Like, does he, what does he want more? Another shot at the title? Or does he really want Seth Rollins as much as Dean Ambrose wants Seth Rollins? Like, right. you could have had some actual drama there. Nope. They both just wanted <laughs> Rollins. And, uh,. After lots of uh, interference by the authority, Dean Ambrose would get the opportunity to face Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell. Meanwhile, El Cena was like, oh, well, maybe next time. <laughs> but anyway, Ambrose and Rollins had their match at Hell in a Cell 2014. And, Joe, this match was important because it was the first time the main event of a pay-per-view had two whole new guys. <laughs> Neither one. This was the first pay this is literally the first main event for both. Well, okay, maybe not the first because uh, that payback event with Evolution was actually the main event. Right. But still. <laughs> and Dean Ambrose would go on and try to make a match as uh, awesome as you can get. As uh, he he would also talk about in uh, his uh, interview with Jericho that, uh, you know, there's a WWE style. And you, you know what he's talking about, right, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, for instance, Orton and Cena had pretty much a WWE-style match, <laughs> that WWE main event-style match that just so happened to be in a Hell in a Cell match. Right. Going into the match, Dean was like, you know, Hell in a Cell should be an ugly match, you know? It yeah. should be, like, a really violent affair. <laughs> so him, that's what him and Rollins decided to do. They decided to have, like, a pretty graphic match. And considering it's the PG era, era I would say they got as good as you were going to get in th this era of WWE. Yeah, I mean, at this point, Hell in a Cell matches, uh, you know, since they're in this PG era where they try not to bleed even a drop, it's basically just a regular match that just happens to be encased in a giant cage. Exactly, exactly. Oh, by the way, favorite part of the whole interview with uh, Jericho? You know, Jericho's like, so you guys started on the top of the roof, and he was, and Dino's like, yeah, yeah, wow. And Jericho's like, wow, so you were the guys who were the first ones to do that, huh? <laughs> and, and Dean was like, Wait, no, there was so, no. We were not the first people. Like, Jericho's like, "Oh, who was the first? And uh, Dean's like, you, "You could see him so shocked with this." He's like, "Mick Foley and freaking Undertaker." Oh, he's like, "Oh, they were." Like, yeah, that Hell in the Cell match. You were there for that. <laughs> remember that? And Jericho tries to do the whole, "Oh, I don't remember everything." And it's like, it's literally the most famous match in professional wrestling history. Uh. -uh. But, oh, man. But uh, Dean and uh, Rollins had a pretty epic match. They battled on top of the cage. They both went through tables at the same time. To start off the match, it was them being, like, stretchered out. And then they continued to have, like, this amazing beatdown. That was amazing until <laughs> the end, questionably. Hmm. As uh, suddenly, a hologram ghost would oh, appear. Oh, God. <laughs> 
and would distract Ambrose, who had to stand there like a doof for like five minutes until Bray Wyatt would appear and blindside Ambrose, hitting Sister Abigail. This is the thing I don't like about Bray Wyatt. Like, none of his feud have to make any sense. He just randomly <laughs> attacks a guy, and we just accept it. I'm because... kind of over Bray Wyatt as a character. Ugh. Like, Bray Wyatt, the performer, is, is perfectly fine and great, but Bray Wyatt, the character, I'm kind of over it. Yeah, it's like... It's obvious that the WWE like him, but they don't want him to ever go over. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what the heck they're doing over there. Oh, God. I don't... And I, I, I'm sure Bray is just like, oh, whatever, man, I'm getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Raising money for me and Sister Abigail here. Uh, so this would lead to a Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt feud. As it was mostly mind games for the most part, with Wyatt actually bringing up Dean's in-jail father. <laughs> a strange choice. Indeed, just trying to get in the head. And the whole point of the feud was they were both monsters, and he was trying to get Dean Ambrose to join him. Which uh, Bray Wyatt should know. He In the history of his career, he's only had luck uniting two people to his side. Everyone else just basically tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Which, is, which was the story of this <laughs> match. As they would feud, they would have their first match at Survivor Series 2014 with Ambrose losing via DQ. Oh, God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> this ending is so amazing. As Bray Wyatt did the spot he did with Cena where he gave Dean the chair and said, murder me, kill me. <laughs> And Dean was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just relentlessly beat ups. <laughs> He's like, hit me with this chair. Wait, no. Oh. <laughs> it's, oh. I laughed more than I should have. <laughs> it was at this point that he would beat up Bray Wyatt first with chairs, then put him through a table, and then climb a ladder to pose. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what this is setting up for. <laughs> Why, Joe? I'm ha I'm surprised you asked. It's set up for TLC 2014, as Wyatt and Ambrose once again surprisingly main evented the mat the entire pay per view. Mm -hmm. Wrestling in a pay in a TLC match, which I got a uh, everyone complains about this match. I thought it was all right. <laughs> I, I actually liked it. I mean, it was. It, they wrestled the TLC match much like I would play a TLC match in my WWE 2K <laughs> video game. We're like, there's literally one spot where Ambrose just like elbows uh, Wyatt through like four tables in a row, right? Just like one right after the <laughs> other. And I did like the story. Of the like people get hot about the ending, which sees uh, Ambrose pull out a monitor. <laughs> this is a real dumb ending, though. To be fair. Uh, well, well, hear me out here. Oh, God. You're actually going to defend it. Please. I'm going to try. The As I took the story of this match, <laughs> Ambrose was so focused on just hitting and hurting, hurting Bray Wyatt that he wasn't thinking anymore. So he just, like, grabbed the monitor, ran over to try to hit him, and, you know, the cords were still in it, so he tried to <laughs> yank it free, and it caused the thing to explode in his face. Like he <laughs> Literally every part of what you just said is terrible. Like, A, why is he dumb enough to not be able to tell that it's plugged in? B, why is it plugged in to begin with when it's under and, and when it's under the ring? And C, why is it under the ring to begin with? Why are any of these things happening? 
Okay, why is anything under the ring, to be fair? I mean, they got garbage cans. Why are there garbage you cans? You could make like... a case for the garbage cans. Like, you could say, oh, they have to clean up before or after. Sticks. You can use that. But what's Tell the monitor the for? Can- Tell me about the kendo sticks and apparently the world that all midgets live in, live in oh, that exists man. underneath the ring. But I, I'll, I will grant you, okay, why couldn't he unplug the monitor? Like, they... Like... <laughs> they made him the dumbest character. Like, why is he this dumb all of a sudden? I, I wouldn't say they made him dumb. They just, he was so... He was lo- he was trying to look at himself in the monitor during the match. He's like, hey, look at me. Like, he's trying to look, he's looking at it like it's a mirror, even though it's clearly not. Like, even though it's not focused on his face. It's like, what are you doing? Well, he was just so hell-bent on injuring Wyatt that he... Didn't think all the way through. No, when he pulled it out initially, he's looking at it, and he's staring into it like it's a mirror. He's, like, doing his hair or whatever, even though all it's doing is reproducing the image of the camera behind him. So, like, I don't know what he's looking at. What's he doing? Like, this is is the beginning of, of, like, the dumbing down of Dean Ambrose for, like, eight months, where it's like, he can't win a match, and he's also real not smart. Well, the reason for his sudden losing streak here, like with Seth Rollins, it made point. It made sense. Excuse me. Like uh, I, I look at Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. I'm I see Tommy Dreamer versus Raven, <laughs> where where Raven just beat Tommy Dreamer each time. But you loved Tommy Dreamer so much, you would root for him to keep going after after Raven. Even so, it you know it worked there. In the case of Bray Wyatt, the problem was Bray Wyatt had been on his own losing streak. And, uh, however, they WWE wanted to have him face The Undertaker. And you can't just have a guy who's losing all the time face The Undertaker, even though he's just going to lose anyway, so who cares? But <laughs> they started to build him up. So as well as uh, his performance in the Rumble, he would, go, he would essentially beat Dean Ambrose as uh, going forward. Ignored here, the two would have two more matches, one at Tribute to the Troops, where Ambrose finally won after Sergeant Slaughter interfered for (laughs) no reason. And the final match, an ambulance match with Wyatt winning to end the feud. As once again, they're they're just trying to make Bray Wyatt look strong to take on The Undertaker, and that's the gist of it. And unfortunately, (laughs) it it came at a bad time as uh, I would argue that Dean needed to look strong here more as once again, at this point he was getting ridiculous amounts of cheers to a point where all those Austin comparisons that I was talking about before were really kicking into high gear. So they could have had another top face. In fact, there were people that were making the argument that he should be in the main event for mania too, but more on that later. (laughs) <laughs> but, but he doesn't even know how TVs work. Why would you let him in the main event of WrestleMania? Okay, he's not producing <laughs> WrestleMania. He's but he doesn't that. even know how to do things. He can't function without adult he supervision. He knows how to do things, there, Joe. He's he's not even using the TV correctly when he hits Bray Wyatt. Come on. <laughs> January 19th, 2015. Dean pinned Bad News Barrett, who was the Intercontinental Champion, in a match. Remember that, as it'll be important <laughs> in a second. Then we fast forward to Royal Rumble 2015, which we'll be talking about quite a bit at the uh, Roman Reigns episode. In a Rumble best forgotten, Dean Ambrose was eliminated by Kane and Big Show. After this Rumble, after this, Ambrose was decided to focus on an Intercontinental Championship. As at the at the snowed in Raw, <laughs> Dean Ambrose uh, walked in uh, the blizzard. 
to go to Titan Towers. <laughs> and he talked to Renee Young, who he's dating at this point, and talked about how he entered the Intercontinental Championship wing of Titan Towers, which doesn't exist. So we'll <laughs> it's like, why would they have a wing for that title and that title only? <laughs> and he talked about how the Intercontinental title is uh, you know, not what it used to be, which is like the the angle and gimmick for every face to chase the Intercontinental title now. <laughs> as uh, It's not doing much better now, and more on that later. But he decided he wanted a shot at Bad News Barrett. As he would get this match, as at first uh, Bad News Barrett said, no, no, why would I give you, give you a title <laughs> match? He would later finally get the right to the match by attacking Bad News Barrett, zip-tying him to a ring post, and forcing him to sign a contract. <laughs> that's, the how, that's the how contracts work, Dean. And that's actually what Barrett said. But <laughs> that's surprisingly, how that works. That, that's illegal. <laughs> but surprisingly, Joe, it turned out <laughs> to be the correct way in WWE. Oh, man. Oh. I, I gotta tell you, though, ba- Barrett screaming at Ambrose, this isn't legal! <laughs> it was... One of the funniest things I've heard. heard in <laughs> like I know I said earlier, uh, how I I appreciate when when you know <laughs> when wrestling characters are allowed to just be cartoon characters, but like this was a point where like Dean maybe swung a little too far in the in the in the direction that I like. It's like that's not how things work, Dean. It's not, that's not how things function. Well, I, I would actually blame the authority more for this because they said, "Sure, go." <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, that's a that's a legally binding signature. Uh, I, in fact, uh, going into the pay per view, I was actually expecting like either Kane or Triple H to just be in the ring waiting for Ambrose, saying it wasn't legal. He he was actually right there. I, I don't <laughs> know why anybody thought this match was happening. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not getting an intercontinental shot. <laughs> I mean, oh, and, like, the, and the whole thing was him walking through the blizzard or whatever. It's like, come on, Dean! <laughs> Get a car! That's all he does is, you know, like, you know, true to him, like, he just loves biking and wandering around. Oh, so man. That's true to him. That's actually part of the actual John Good character, Jonathan Good character. Man. I, man. Almost, I almost called him John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> so, they would wrestle at Fastlane where Ambrose got DQ'd, and he said, fuck you, bad news, Barrett, and your belt, and just (laughs) stole the title. This would sadly turn into one of the biggest menageries ever, (laughs) as this would eventually turn, as a feud that was just for Dean Ambrose, (laughs) turn into Dolph Ziggler stealing the belt, then Luke Harper stealing the belt, then R-Truth stealing it. Then Daniel Bryan and Stardust. Till finally, we had a seven-man <laughs> ladder match for the Intercontinental title, which many people were expecting Dean Ambrose to win. Because at this point, he hasn't won a single match <laughs> in 14 years since that last match. Since you know that match that they had, the elimination match <laughs> with uh, the sh- the Evolution, that was the last match he won. He hasn't won a match since nope so they thought hey that would be a cool wrestlemania moment dean ambrose gets his first uh, victory in forever and becomes the intercontinental <laughs> champ no let's give it to daniel bryan and admittingly you know i can understand hey it's daniel bryan he's he's more over than ambrose let's let's be let's be honest <laughs> but at the same time he was just returning from injury and sure enough hey where's the intercontinental championship right now <laughs> oh exactly oh. 
During this match, however, uh, Luke Harper would put Dean through a ladder, which would uh, allow Dan- which put him out of the match and allowed uh, Daniel Bryan to win. Furthermore, it also provides a great explanation as to why uh, Dean Ambrose wasn't there to stop Seth Rollins from cashing in as he was in the hospital at this point. So, hey, good writing, good foresight on WWE's part. Maybe, but at the same time, he never mentioned it afterwards. Like he kind of just forgot about it, didn't he? Like, no, like I he don't... didn't. Like he's never said like afterwards. Like you know, you only got that because I was out. Well, like he, he like he's 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 no. But I'm saying he's uh, like after WrestleMania, he's never like he's interacted with the with with Seth several times, and he's never brought Joe, it up. Joe, Joe, he he doesn't have to. John Stewart brought it up. Remember? <laughs> well, he brought. The oh, up. okay. The one-time celebrity. That's so, that that'll hold. Hey, John Stewart was the best celebrity they've ever had there. Sure, but I mean that's not that's not that's not the case. If it was like if it was any other celebrity, they'd be like, and then I knock out Seth Rollins with a punch. <laughs> uh, anyway, this would also set up a little feud with Luke Harper, as the two would meet off at uh, Extreme Rules in a Chicago street fight. Right after some brawling, and uh, Luke Harper would again put put Ambrose through a table and SmackDown <laughs> in a pretty, uh, pretty nice uh, street fight. As far as street fight goes, Ambrose would win winning his first pay-per-view match since the shield broke up in a uh, later promo. He would say, Hey, maybe this is the start of things looking up for me. And, uh, it looks to be true as he just beat Seth Rollins. And, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Cause it happened on a raw. Mm-hmm. I, I him beating Seth Rollins for the first time. This is lit. For those keeping score, he has beaten Seth Rollins twice. The first time was uh, at FCW in that tournament. And the second time was uh, Raw from last week where he uh, pinned Seth, Seth with a roll-up. You know, I, I would have thought that the first time he beat him being like a bigger moment, maybe at a pay-per-view, even WrestleMania or SummerSlam. But... No, no, it just happens on Raw, and it's, like, just glossed over. I, I didn't like that, personally. But at the same time, he is now in the main event, as it is a fatal four-way for the World WWE title, which got me really excited until I realized, oh, wait, he's he's there to get pinned. <laughs> he's there to eat the pin for sure. Oh, God. <laughs> Part of me really hope it ends up being Orton, just so you can get him out of there, because you have the shield in the main event right now. <laughs> well, that's that's what I was getting to before. What if, and this is, I'm borrowing the, or I'm just going to go ahead and steal this theory that I read uh, on Uproxx, uh, Brandon Stroud, uh, basically just kind of fantasy booking this thing where he's like, what if the, what if Dean and Roman realized that they should have sold out too? And instead just help Seth keep his title and reunite the shield. Mm. I would, I would enjoy that a lot. I would enjoy it. It's not going to happen. Oh, no, of course not. But that, <laughs> but I would enjoy that a lot. I could see, believe it or not, I could actually see Dean maybe turning heel. But because, uh, you know, they're starting to, I don't know if you noticed, Joe, they're starting to call up NXT guys. And yeah. Uh, yeah. all of them faces. <laughs> <laughs> so you could probably have another heel in there. But at the same time, you know, uh, yeah, he's probably just going to eat an RKO <laughs> or something. Because, I mean, as it stands right now, like, I think both both Dean and Roman could could probably stand to have like a, a some some tweaking on their characters each uh like Dean for for the reason that you know he's getting a little too cartoonish and he could really use 
like a mean streak to actually establish himself as an actual threat to a person <laughs> as opposed to being the crazy cartoon character he is now. And Roman can just, you know, Roman's Roman's fine. Like, he'd lost at WrestleMania. You can stop playing him now. But he could use a little tweaking as well. So hopefully uh, they use this event to do something with, with these guys. Well, I don't know if I would jump to say Roman is fine, but he's on the right path, I'll say. Yeah. I think, like, uh, I feel... Well, well, we'll save that for the Roman Reigns episode, but uh, I, I'll concur with you that, you know, Dean is kind of a cartoon character, but I just think that's what his character is going to end up being if he's a face. Like, if he's like if he's, like if he's <laughs> falling for literal cartoon traps where things are exploding in his face because he's not careful, like, I'm going to get tired of that real quick. Uh, so hopefully... Oh, for oh, fuck's sake, it happened once. And hopefully only once, but who knows? Like I don't need him to like fall into, like I don't I don't need like somebody else to like put a black dot on the mat and then he'll suddenly fall into a hole that's formed and he'll hold up a sign that says gulp and then he'll fall. Okay, he's not Carlito. <laughs> he might just do that. He's. Uh, so what do you see for the future of Dean Ambrose, there, Joe? Um. Uh, well, I I see bright things because I mean he's a tremendous a tremendous wrestling talent. Like uh, you know the the crazy cartoon skew. And notwithstanding, like he's still, uh, you know, like like he's still a character that's that's ripe for 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 a lot of great antics. Uh, you know, his his moveset is is pretty great. Uh, don't really care for the clothesline anymore. Uh, I mean, the clothesline itself, like the delivery of the clothesline, you know, the actual impact of the clothesline is fine. But like the whole oh, the, uh... the whole bounce off the ropes thing is is like, why do people keep falling for that? <laughs> like, why like. Like, I think Supercard uh, describes calls it the rebound clothesline, which is technically every count, every clothesline, ever <laughs> right? Clothesline, but... but like after the first couple of times, you think people would be able to game plan for that. It's like, oh, if I Irish whip him or knock him into the ropes, he's just going to rebound and try to clothesline me. But well, at the same, it's the same time, Joe. How many of those are out there? It's like asking, why do people still punch at Hogan after he points? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, like the. <laughs> but at least that's like a like a, like that's like that's basically the whole the go home part of a Hogan match, right? Like, but mm. but with this, it's like it's always in the middle of the match. It's like it just kind of happens, and it's like somehow no one sees it coming. It's like it's it's kind of the same concept as when like him and his opponent are outside the ring, and like they try to throw him into the ring, and he just rolls right back out. Like that, I think that's cool. That that's is cool really because it happens way less frequently. Like that happens every like four or five matches. Uh, whereas the the rebound off the ropes into the clothesline that happens every single time. Like I can understand while they while they fall for one thing, but not like the other thing. I don't understand why people keep falling for that. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about the moves, I want to talk about a few of his. Namely, uh, first I want to talk about the the elbow drop on the guy that's <laughs> standing. <laughs> yeah, like he start like when he started feuding with Bray, uh, like he started elbow dropping way more often. But like Bray. Like was on tables or whatever, but after even after he finished that feud, like he's like, I like elbow dropping people, and I don't care if you're if you're lying down or not to take it. I'm just gonna jump on you from way up high. Yeah, for a while he would do it to like groups of people, uh-huh. and then he was like, I'll just do it to one. Person. <laughs> I'll just do it to the one guy standing six feet away from me. And if he happens to be on a table, awesome. <laughs> like I like the move. I, I think it's that's something you don't see an elbow drop on a standing guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's see, and uh, the other one, uh, his finishers, which uh, I- I've yet to be fans of, like, really any of them. <laughs> it's... I mean, he had uh, Dirty Deeds, which, okay, I thought that was all right. It, it looked, it looks weird, 
but yes. <laughs> well, it used to be basically the party file that freaking Adam Rose does. Like it was literally the same move, and then they made it into a regular double underhook DDT. That was probably what happened. Like they had, they brought him in and like, okay, Adam Rose, you're gonna have to start doing the power, you know, the party foul because it looks too much like dirty deeds. And I could see Dean Ambrose like, I don't fucking care, let him have it. <laughs> right. So now he's got the Mick Foley double arm DDT, which I'm like, really? If that is a finisher? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, like DDTs as finishers, like, like obviously it made sense for it to be a finisher for Jake the Snake, but you know that was. 25 years ago, <laughs> it's like we've gotten, well, yeah, like, I don't know, DDTs as, as finishers, it's weird. Yeah, if more people knew about the Regal feud, I would say just keep using the knee trembler. <laughs> yeah. May, you know, maybe he'll get, like, a better finisher in some time, as uh, Seth Rollins, our next uh, focus, is having some issues with his finisher. So. Yeah, another oh. DDT, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, why? Uh, so, folks, uh, I agree with Joe, by the way. I believe he has an extremely bright future. To say that he is a future WWE champion is uh, quite the understatement. I think he's going to have one of the more successful careers in recent memory. I mean, just look at him. I mean, like, he's not even really being pushed, and he's still, I would say, the number, I, at the very least, the number three face, top face in the company right now. Yeah. Behind Cena and Daniel Bryan. And uh, once they actually get behind him, sky's the limit. (laughs) So that does it for our retrospective on or our in-depth look at Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley. Uh, Some matches for you guys to look for homework. Uh, Check out any of his matches with William Regal at FCW as they were actually really, really well done and really brutal too. Uh, From CZW... Uh, you could check out any of his stuff with uh, Drake Younger. And uh, if you could find uh, that match with brain damage, have at it. <laughs> see, <laughs> no. a, see a power saw to the head. Or don't. <laughs> or do. Uh, either way. Or uh, an even better look back, check, check out his match as he teams up with Brad Taylor to take on Eminem from Velocity. Or the greatest local talent ever, Dick Rick, as they <laughs> take on the big show. And... Uh, Pretty much any Shield match is worth looking at. It's just how they pace that. Like for a while, there was such a thing as a Shield match <laughs> that that where it would have like a great story and this really fast-paced style that was always really really good. Check out anything there, but if you just, if you only see one, the original is still w- one of my favorites: Shield versus Team Hell No and Ryback at TLC 2012. Joe, check that match out seriously. <laughs> Uh, speaking of every one of these matches being good, literally everything with Seth Rollins is worth looking at. So check out him, the matches from FCW, check out his matches with Seth Rollins at SummerSlam and Hell in the Cell as they were all both really good matches and any of the Raws as they really know how to, even the one that they just had was really good. Mm -hmm. Just great stuff. Uh, for fun, check out his match with Undertaker from SmackDown. And uh, speaking of Shield matches, right up there with that first matchup, check out both matches with Evolution, Payback, and Extreme Rules of 2014. And do you have any others to suggest, Joe? No, you've pretty much covered it. Beauty. Well, Joe, I'm done. Well, all right then. That means that we are done with this week, this episode of Slam University. 
And uh, of course, you can find us on slamuni.com. You can find us on Twitter at Slam University. You can find me personally at once23. You can find Malcolm at PSMelk. Uh, if you want to find the show on iTunes, you can absolutely do that. You can subscribe there. Uh, write and review us as well because that would help us with our visibility a ton. And if we could do that, you know, maybe Apple will be like, hey, these guys are pretty cool. Maybe what is going to be fun? Um, but if you're allergic to iTunes or just don't have an iDevice, you can also find us in all your other podcast feeds, whether it be Stitcher Radio, uh, Pocket Cast, wherever fine podcasts are found and downloaded. And unless I'm missing anything, I think that's finally it. I believe so, sir. All right. So, again, that concludes this episode. We bring none other than the Lithic Fringe, Tina Ambrose. Uh, stay tuned for a couple weeks later when we'll go over uh, probably the best deal to come <laughs> uh, through WWE in a good long run. Even if he does look like one of Jim Henson's friends. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>